This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. DNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh, shit! It's Vince Russo! Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold your horses there, uh, Mr. Nerd, is it? That's it. Oh, yeah, you can be king, king, king of these nuts. You know what I'm Welcome, everybody, to You've Got to Be Kidding Me for June 2003. Every single episode of the podcast, we go through TNA history one month at a time, and we are in the one-year anniversary month of TNA. I'm Garrett Kidney. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Liam Jones. Liam, hello. Hello. Garrett, they said this podcast wouldn't last a month. (laughs) They said this podcast wouldn't last six months. Well, guess what? We're here one year later. Yes, thankfully, we failed after six weeks, but were bought out by Dixie Carter, and we're still going strong and better than ever right here, even though this podcast has only still only lasted six months, because we covered it a month at a time, so we every 12 weeks, or no, every 24 weeks, there we go, Matt's, we cover a year of TNA, except we took a week off, so it's now 26 weeks. You didn't need to bring math into this. Just go with the bit. You know, they say all episodes are created equal, but you're looking at... <laughs> you're looking at last week's episode, and that had a one in third chance of being good. You look at next <laughs> next week's episode, that has a one in third chance of being good. You put those two thirds, two thirds chance against our one... Wait, I, fucked... I did the opposite math. I did reverse math. You did reverse Steiner math? Yeah. I'm operating at a whole different level. I enjoy Taz has taken the baton of just doing bad math on air on television now. Well, apparently that used to be like a, a radio bit, which I guess is a, the equivalent of a podcast. As if we were doing commentary and we started doing podcast bits on commentary. You just started calling me a Nazi in the middle of a, <laughs> a televised broadcast. Yeah. Again, like, once we get our vanity e-fed, as is the thing to do now, we'll be set. Shout out to Deadlock and their vanity e-fed, by the way. It's the best. <laughs> Living the dream of us all. L- literally living our dream. Being able to put together your own Mark show. That's that's what anybody wants. Just being able to force people to sit through your own memes and tastes in wrestling. That is the dream. Who, who have we promised? We, like, we promised two announcements if we ever got to do our own fed. It was... Wasn't one Shark Boy. No, I don't think... It wasn't Shark Boy. It was Chili to Melissa was one that we were bringing back. Yeah. Who was the other person? I think it was Paul London. Yeah, it was Paul London. We we make a solemn promise. If you ever give us enough money to run a vanity show, for some reason, we'll both run it in America. That seems inconvenient for everyone. But we will book Paul London and cheerleader Melissa. First two announcements. Listen, no one wants another European wrestling company these days. And Australia doesn't exist. Oh, what if we bring back the WWA? Yeah, we'll get together with Rob McManus and bring back the WWA. Was it was it Rob McManus that was running? I thought it was Andrew McManus that ran it. We could get Rob. Rob probably has the money to at least afford a couple of indie shows. Yeah, and he's a bigger star. He can he can be the the front of it. I wear the front of it, obviously. So we are here in the one year anniversary month of TNA. Liam, how do you feel about the first year of TNA? It was mostly shit, but there's a couple good things. That's a good synopsis, <laughs> and I imagine that's going to be my prevailing thought for like the next. Two or so years. It was mostly shit, but there was a couple of good things. There's also a good summation of the month of June. I liked two weeks of June. 
you do this every episode where you're like, I liked this month, and then we talk about them, and all you do is talk about how you hate it. Because it's, well, it's easy to talk about the bad things than it is to talk about the good things. When the good things come up, you go, oh, that was pretty good. Then if you talk about the bad things, you're like, well, here's all the reasons I didn't care for it. Well, why can't you talk about all the reasons you loved Perry Saturn against Kenzo Suzuki? Well, I will. It, the pants <laughs> is most of it. They're good pants. And, uh, come on, something more than the pants, more than the pants. Um, they threw each other around a lot. Well, Perry threw Kenzo around a lot. And that's all it takes. And pants. Pants and throws. That's what wrestling comes down to. It's just pants and throws. Yeah, that's the third person announced for our vanity fed, Kenzo Suzuki. Will he be facing Paul London? I think he'll find something better for London. Unless Kenzo brings back the pants. Then he's our ace. Then we can, yeah, well, go ace. I will reunite Kings of the Hill. Who's Kings of the Hill? Kings of the Hills. Uh, I'll bring back, I'll, we'll bring in Tanahashi. <laughs> Oh, we even talked about this in the watch along, and I still forgot about what their tag team name was. How can you forget that wonderful name? Which, by the way, we did watch alongs for two of these shows. That's two of them. To make up for my ruining of the show. Oh yeah, because you had to perform on stage. You talk talk about you performing on stage, even though it was like three weeks ago at this stage. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago. Yeah, it was fun. It's um, it was cool. It was nice to have reactions to the lines that you've been practicing for th- six months. Oh, did anything go down much worse than you thought it would? No, but I thought it was interesting that different audiences laughed at different jokes. Mm. Like there was only there was only very few can like general consensus laughs. It's kind of all over the place where like different crowds found different things funny. I thought that was interesting. Tells you that opinions are subjective, am I right? Except mine, which is objectively correct. Yes, this podcast is the official record of correct opinions. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, it was fun. I liked having a crowd after all this time. I'm there was definitely points during like the six months of like and the not knowing if it was gonna happen where I was just like, "Fuck this, <laughs> let's not do it. It's too much effort. <laughs> it's been too long." But I'm glad we all got there in the end. I think we were very happy that people gawked at you and were paying all the attention to you. There's one part where I get to monologue a little bit, and I was definitely eating it up. Like, this is, this is, the stage is mine, the spotlight is mine. Like, finally, Garrett's not here to steal the attention. There's no one here to cut me off or come in with alternative points. Or just tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you're wrong and you need to be set straight. Sometimes you're just like, you're wrong. And I'm like, well, here's why. And you're like, no. <laughs> I'm just ending it here. The, that's the end of the discussion. You're wrong about this point. Yeah. I think people need to be told that. It's, I mean, I guess. It just doesn't, I don't think it makes for good audio. I, as a person who is never wrong, has, has never experienced such a thing. But, you know, sometimes other people need to experience it. In my opinion, I've never been wrong. <laughs> that is a correct statement. That one I cannot give out of it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because, like, what's the alternative? You're just going to go, no, sometimes you think you are wrong. <laughs> well, to be fair, you probably do think you're wrong. Actually, yeah, no, I'm going back on my not questioning this. I'm going to question it. It's not, well, that's not true, because I am always 100% correct about everything. Whereas I doubt everything I've ever done. Wow, Mr. Hashtag I'm not wrong before. Look at it. Already crumbled. <laughs> I'm just staring existentially out the window. It took, like, literally 12 seconds. Well, yeah, because everything about me is, like, false bravado. Oh, and then you go. have to be like... No, you're just a dumbass full of shit. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Here we go. (laughs) What a start, eh? What is podcasting without revealing your deep, open self-loathing within the first ten minutes? Keep it to the Disney pod, mate. (laughs) Hey, the Disney pod is a bright, happy time. Except with all the cussing. 
I well, to be fair, I curse more on this show. We just don't bleep it. <laughs> I I still think you should bleep all of my cussing. Because uh, on the podcast I do with my brother, Magic by Design, magicbydesign.buzzsprout.com. Follow Ken on Twitter, at Ken Kidney. Boo. Follow Ed on Twitter. Ken bleeps me with a Mickey Mouse uh-huh. So what would be the TNA equivalent of adding a Mickey Mouse uh-huh? Well, as we saw from these this month's show, it's just a really loud, obnoxious beep. And I think we should use exactly that noise. Well, those beeps are added in post to the Impact Plus versions. They weren't on the originals. It has to be some sort of like Don West call, right? Yeah. Like, just like when he shouts, like when he does his, oh my god. I think that's it. He is furious and outraged at our cursing. <laughs> I have a hot take here. I like Don West's, oh my god, more than fucking Styles. You see, the problem is, with Styles it became a bit. He was doing it as a catchphrase. As opposed to Don West, which is organic and authentic. Yeah. Which is how I would describe the two of them. <laughs> we will also be talking about Joey Styles on this episode. Will we? Oh, yeah. Wow. So as mentioned, June 2003, the one year anniversary month of TNA, the anniversary show is this month, which we'll talk about in a little while. It's it's interesting to look back on this company over the year because like the starting identity was there was none were being WCW and then they kind of moved away from that and they realized like, well, the X Division is good, so let's make that our identity. And then, like, the more Vince Russo has gained power over the last, like, 12 months, the more the X Division has taken a backseat, and more, like, the worked shoot Vince Russo, Glenn Gilberti stuff has been uh, come to the forefront. I just think it's... It's identity is just sleazier WCW. Mm. Like, way more down, dirty, and not as well-produced WCW. Because there's an interesting note during the Paul London-Chris Saban match, where Mike Tanay and Don West on commentary are talking about how, like, oh, the X Division was... In past tense. Like, the the original thing that people came to this company for. It was our original identity. And it is interesting that they're referring to that in the past tense. Because right here in June 2003, it really isn't anymore. And it's like, well, that one good thing that people actually liked about you is the one thing you've, like, given a backseat over the last six months. And it doesn't really make much sense. But here we are. Well, I think it doesn't help when you have your biggest X Division star moved up to the main level now. And you have your new champion involved in a tag tournament for most of the month. Yeah, Saban not doing much. He has two X title matches. And, like, the X division, I think they very much realize is pretty barren these days. Well, they they keep having to bring people in. Yeah, Styles moved up. Jerry Lynn has moved on to, like, just more general feuding with people. And obviously, Loki is in the tag division and currently injured. And mostly in Japan. So, Loki is also not available. Red is an inconsistent presence. There's no amazing Red this month, actually. I, I know he was banged up. He was on a tour of Japan. And then he came back and he was apparently banged up after that tour of Japan. So no red at all in this month of June. So all, the people who you would consider like the big four, the most focused people in the X Division, like the first six months, aren't in the X Division anymore. So then you had Kid Cash, who was like the X Division champion, not in the X Division anymore. Yeah, moving on to better and brighter things. Oh yes, he is beating women and very happy about it. He loves it. He does. He gets off on it. Like, he, he does a promo this month where he's like, I love beating women. I want to beat all the women. Thank you for that soundbite. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, he fell right into my trap. <laughs> Luring me into talking about Kid Cash's misogyny. Yeah. I'm going to have, like, everything I need <laughs> eventually. I'll run for high political office one day and then you will strike. I'll be like, this is for making fun of my like of MCU stuff, you bastard. 
This is for you telling me I'm wrong to accept Disney telling me what's canon. How dare you yell at me for enjoying a wider universe that's connected through hours and hours of millions of dollars, okay? I'm allowed to like it. It doesn't make me any lesser than you. But yes, Kid Cash deeply hates women. But yeah, Kid Cash moved out of the exhibition. Sonny Siaki, the other exhibition champion of this era, moved out of the exhibition. So now we do, like, thinking, who is in the exhibition? The answer is Chris Saban, mm-hmm. who's in the exhibition. Johnny Swinger. Johnny Swinger, I guess, is in the exhibition, but not for long. <laughs> but, like, he's he's been more consistently in the exhibition than Sharkboy has at this point. Sharkboy's moved on to tag stuff. Hard 10 division, if anything. And then, like, Paul London is a guy who was in and out of the X Division, both through injury and having other commitments and leaving now, because this is the last we'll see in Paul London. To be fair, he was supposed to be in it. <laughs> yeah, even the people they were bringing in to be like, this is the new generation of the X Oh, nope, they're gone too. <laughs> so right now they only really have Saban and Frankie. Yeah, because they bring in Frankie Kazarian this month too, because I think they do realize they're like, oh god, we have nobody in this division. It does feel like we're, we're fairly moving on to Generation 2 of the X Division now. Yeah, because we'll have, I don't remember my, when Michael Shane debuts, but it's in the next couple months that we have Michael Shane showing up as well. And Shane, Saban, and Kazarian end up being like the, the next Styles, Loki, and Lynn, just not quite as good. But they, they are the next like three pillars of the X Division. Yeah. And then um, eventually we'll get to your Shelleys and such. One day. One day. Yeah, and we'll have the likes of Daniels move over from the tag division and Skipper move over from the tag division. That's the one like benefit they have of like keeping Triple X away from the X division so far is that they have Daniels and Skipper and even Key eventually ready to go and be fresh in that division when they need them. Mm. And be like people who are over and well known, so it's not like it's Frankie coming in here and having to like earn the respect of the crowd. Yeah. And, like, we've moved past the X Division into, like, the worked shoot era of TNA, which is also gone. Like, that's not what they're doing now anymore, either. It's still there a little bit. It's like the X Division. You still have a taste of it, but it's not, the like, the entire hour and 40 minutes now. Yeah, there's little smidges of it. We'll talk about, like, Glengalberti's promo this month, and even Russo's promo has bits of it as well. I guess the Russo-Dilo stuff is kind of worked shoot, but anyway. A little bit. But it's also just Russo. Like, are you going to just call everything Russo does work shoot? Or is it just like, this is his character as well, you know? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. But yeah, the, the era where you had the Dusties. I miss Dusty. Ah, don't don't we all? Dusty, again, another Dusty-less month. Two straight months without Dusty. Dusty, come back. You also had the Pipers and the people just getting in the face of Vince Russo and shooting and talking uncomfortably about people's deaths. JJ Dillon. Oh yeah, JJ. Remember all those people that showed up? Paul Bearer. You don't really have that anymore, though, because, like, Larry's not around. All the people that showed up have just left. One day, huh? Like, I'm trying to think. Debuts this month, you had Frankie Kazarian, who wasn't, like, a surprise. He was just a new guy in the show. Mm-hmm. And you had Shane Douglas, who was, like, a surprise. He's a guy you know showing up for the first time. Kenzo Suzuki. Thank you. He, but he's not really a surprise either. He's just hey, a guy having a match. There was one pretty cool debut <laughs> this month. Oh, yes, there was one guy who's a big star. You might have heard of him. His name is Sting. <laughs> yeah. Um, although, to be fair, that might not be him. Liam, if you listen to the watch-along, we did the watch-along the two middle shows of the month. So the, the, the June 11th and the June 18th shows. And announced on the June 11th shows that Sting will be debuting on the June 18th show. And mm. Liam did not believe TNA. Why would I? What have they done to make me believe that that was going to be real Sting? And I'm still not 100% convinced. And the fact that Vince Russo was running around with a bat the entire time made you think it was just going to be Vince Russo dressed as Sting. Which, you know what? They should have committed to. 
Yeah. So we came out of like the work shoot era in like March, which was like when sex began to just become a regular staple on the show. And then we're into what TNA is now, which is probably just as you mentioned, sleazier WCW. I described it this week as like if ROH was really infected by like WCW 2000. Because <laughs> mm. like there's still that like smidgen of work rate in there. It's in there. It's under a lot of, lot of grime, but it's still in there. And you have to fight for it, but it is there. Like, we do have the best match in TNA history this month. Yes, Kenzo Suzuki and Perry Satin. <laughs> of course. There's still the little, the little bit of hope, which is honestly the worst part of it. Because if there wasn't that little bit of hope, you'd be able to write it off. But it's like, oh god, there is that great freaking cage match this month. That is, like, the best match this company has ever put on. Why can't they do that all the time? Yeah. Why can't they be Ring of Honor without the WCW grime? They can just be Ring of Honor with mainstream production. As much as TNA had mainstream production. Hey man, they got a really cool stage this month, so... Yeah. So we'll get into all of that in a moment. But let's start with the notes from this month. Which, the first of which is a fun one given Sting showed up this month. Jeff Jarrett told World Wrestling All-Star as promoter Andrew McManus that the only way he would take part in the title unification match is if he didn't have to put Sting over. Yeah, I, wrestlers are so cool. Like, to a degree it makes sense. It's like, I'm not going to drop the belt to Sting. It's the NWA title. This is my company. Why would I drop the belt to Sting? But also, Sting's a much bigger star than you, Jeff. But also, like, if you can get Sting to come back and drop it in the US... Yeah, ideally, win-win there, right? Andrew McManus gets his title change on his big show, and then Sting comes back home to drop it back to Jarrett, and you get a big title match back in TNA. Then again, who says that Sting wants to do that as well? Well, we'll talk about it, but Sting has committed to, like, a four-day deal at this stage. And a shoot interview. <laughs> and a shoot interview, indeed. The, the Mike Tanay Sting interview, which is, uh, they apparently sat down, and they did a 38-minute interview that they plan to spread over multiple shows. I was going to say, if that wasn't on the shows, we should track it down <laughs> in full. Well, that's something we'll be talking about in July, because they teased it in the last show of the month, and we'll start airing it on the first week of July. I'm looking forward to it. I want to see the man behind the paint. Yeah, because it's not staying, Liam. It's Steve Borden. It's real estate Steve being interviewed by today here. I'm really looking forward to to some Steve uh, vignettes later on in TNA's history. Oh, there's some great Steve content. I'm aware of the Steve content. I'll tell you that for sure. In like his first two years when he comes there full time, like 2006-2007, there's some very good Steve content. There's some very good paparazzi production Steve content. Jared told McManus that there was no way he could let someone who has never worked for NWA TNA win his belt and not defend it on the weekly pay-per-view. Although there are a number of wrestlers questioning Jared's push in TNA, it's almost impossible not to see the logic in the stance Jared took. And while Sting was upset that McManus didn't tell him the finish of the match until the day of the event, any tension that existed was between Sting and McManus, not Sting and Jared. I have a lot of tension with McManus as well, so I get you, Sting. <laughs> yeah, we were having to watch a World Wrestling All-Star show this month for reasons. And it was maybe the worst thing I've ever been a part of. Excuse me, you're not allowed to give your takes away yet. Now, that's just my opinion on World Wrestling All-Stars. <laughs> it's not even, the, not even the show. Long-time producer Dave Sahadi is no longer working with WWE. This is one of those keep-this-one-in-the-back-of-your-mind-for-a-year-and-a-half things. He was responsible for some of the great production work over the years for WWE, including ring entrance videos, pay-per-view video summaries, feud recaps, pay-per-view commercials, and so on. Considered one of their creative geniuses behind the scenes. Cool. Alright, Dave, we'll see you soon. <laughs> we will perhaps see you soon. And honestly, when you look at, like, WWE production, I don't think it was ever quite as good after he left. What? I, I don't... I'm not sure I have a frame of reference in my head for what he would have done versus what he wouldn't have done. 
I do think, like, no reproduction was always the thing people universally praised. And I think over, like, the last five, ten years, it's gotten steadily worse. There's the obvious things, like the camera cuts, which is the thing they didn't used to do nearly as badly, and now they do way, way worse. And it's, like, unwatchable. But, like, even the quality of their video packages, what was the last great WWE video package? I know you don't watch WWE a lot, but, like, I've, like no one talks about their video packages Well, because they also anymore. don't do them very often anymore. And because they're too cheap to pay for licensed songs either, so they're all, like, just generic production tracks. And, well, if you've even noticed, they don't even have entrance videos anymore. It's just a font of their name. They're a billion-dollar company, and their production is so lazy. Which is funny, because, like, for a long time, their, like, criticism was that they were all sizzle and no substance. And now it's like, Mm. they're neither. They don't even have the sizzle anymore. What even is this company? Like, your cameras are really nice. (laughs) Unequivocally, unequivocally, oh my god, I, this is apparently the hardest word for me ever to say. Say it for me, please. Unequivocally. Thank you. Your cameras are the best, right? Like, you watch that show and you're like, well, I can see every pore in Randy Orton's forehead, okay? This shit's crazy. But everything else is nothing. It's just bland, personality-less, like, just stock everything it's the laziest it could be the video packages are all the same every modern WWE video package is like recap 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 then the dramatic moment where the music goes blah and the video turns to black and white and then it's like all sad and angsty for a while that's every single video package but they also only do it like six times a year and like uh, yeah they, as i mentioned they don't do licensed music for those video packages anymore which is the reason most of them are bad they don't do as you said entrance videos they just Everything about their production is so, like, bland and tired and lazy and they're not even trying. And they're a billion-dollar company. Yeah, it's not like it's Joe Smo Indie, you know? There's a lot of indies that have way better production. Just talking about Deadlock before, their show, really good video production. Yeah. And, like, even comparing WWE to themselves, like, against their own benchmark, their own standards, they're terrible. Yeah, it's, uh, it's rough. I, I, I wish at least they had the sizzle. Because then you could be like, look at this cool video package, or look at that cool entrance, or look at that awesome entrance video, or listen to this theme music. Theme music is another one. That, like, WWE used to have iconic theme music. Even, like, up until relatively recently, they still had great theme music. And now everyone has, like, generic, boring production songs. Sometimes I'll, like, parachute in to watch some random NXT thing. And, like, all their songs are so different and so nothing now. Hmm. Like, even guys that, like, were there and had pretty decent themes. They just take them all away because they don't want to pay CFO royalties. Which is crazy. It's, they just, they want to do everything as cheaply as possible. And they're, like, the biggest company in the world on television with billions of dollars and lots of viewers. It's rough. It's rough stuff. It's very disappointing. But you know, uh, we got some great entrance videos and actual place to watch the entrance videos this month for TNA, so... Hmm. A uh, uh, pretty disappointing note, Desire, who you might have noticed disappeared off the face of the earth this month. Very good reason. She broke her back this month. Ah, oh, yes, I had heard that this happened. Desire was injured while working a match tape for Explosion prior to her pay-per-view. She took what appeared to be an ordinary back bump, but struggled noticeably to get through the rest of the match. She was able to finish the match, but collapsed after returning to the sex locker room. Witnesses say she was in tremendous pain in the locker room, and the sex wrestlers took turns holding her hand and comforting her. She was eventually taken to a nearby hospital where she was diagnosed with a broken tailbone and L1 disc in her back. She was placed in a back brace that she will have to wear for at least two weeks. Doctors are said to be hopeful that she can avoid surgery by going through physical therapy. Rough. 
Yeah, especially to do it in an explosion match. And like not uh, by all accounts, not even like a you know, an uh, something going wrong or something like a bot spot. In typical wrestling fashion, and people are always like, that's a dangerous move. Like, oh, you shouldn't do a pile driver. That's a dangerous move. It's like, this is always what happens. You just take a regular flat back bump and your back just gives out in you and you break your back. Or you just take a, a wonky back bump and land a little awkward on one bit or a little bit on your tailbone and then back. Like when you think of most injuries, you think of the Seth Rollins one. It's like he did a sunset flip power bomb planted his leg and his knee exploded well it's like you, you even just see people will just like they'll step notice they'll, they'll just step in that ring and then their knee will go yeah like just from walking people always like clutch their pearls about dangerous moves and it's like more often than not people get hurt doing the rudimentary stuff and it, they are just extraordinarily unlucky yeah it's uh i think it's mostly a game of luck like obviously you know if you're going out there and you're doing a bunch of stuff that you have no right doing, you're going to hurt people. But it's like, it's just the regular stuff that can do it and often does. Best wishes to Desire back here in 2003. <laughs> yes. In other Jerry Jarrett news, sources say he's no longer involved in the actual booking process. Those responsibilities are shared by Jeff Jarrett, Vince Russo, Clank Liberty, and Dixie Carter, who all meet every Thursday to write the following week's shows. I'd imagine Dixie's just sitting in the room nodding. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Jeff. That sounds good. <laughs> Tremendous Dixie Carter impression. Thank you. I, I, I hope to continue to use it every time. If there's one, I'm a notorious podcast coward for doing accents. I will never not take the opportunity to do a southern accent. You can't do mocks, but you will do Dixie. Yeah, I, I, I will do a Dixie. And you'll always do a Finn Balor whenever prompted. Oh, that's, that's, uh, it's been a while. <clears throat> that's next. Oh, that, I, actually, ooh, oh, I have to practice my Finn Balor again. It's in my head now. Oh. oh, give me something. Say something in Irish. Kanasatatu. That was some Egyptian spell. You can't lie to me. I asked, how are you in Irish? Oh, wait, let me let me go to my Duolingo real quick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was learning it for like a week. That's a ridiculous <laughs> language, Garrett. We do tend to just leave out letters and just pronounce things inexplicably. Like, I've, I've been going through a lot of them and like, a lot of them make sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Irish? No. Zero sense. <laughs> it's the reason you get people like Saoirse Ronan just being on like the international stage and then people are like how on earth do you pronounce Saoirse yeah leaving your names Quiva no one can say the word Quiva outside of Ireland oh god Duolingo stop making noise is Kalin E very good is well Kalin done e? <laughs> what does it say Garrett uh I didn't hear it what does it say <laughs> is Kalin E well, Colleen is girl. Mm. Is is is. I'll give you that. Are you asking, are, am I a girl? Uh, <laughs> ah, I got it wrong. Ihim ul. Ihim ul? I have no idea. I haven't done Irish. I haven't like spoken Irish in 11 Ihim years. You're, you're asking the wrong person to try and speak Irish for you. Ihim ul is I eat an apple, Garrett. What? Ihim ul. Oh, ihim. Oh, right. I thought uh, pronunciation needs work. I have an accent, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, now do your Finn Balor, now that you've actually spoken some Irish. I haven't heard Finn Balor in a long time, to be honest. I, got, I literally just popped the collar on my shirt. <laughs> oh, the snake's in the back. Oh, very good. It's like I'm in Dublin. Like, right, well, technically Bray, I guess. Uh, even though your Finn Balor doesn't sound like Finn Balor. Listen, none of our, nothing sounds like anything, okay? Yes, your Dixie Carter did sound exactly like Dixie, though. Oh, well, thank you. But yeah, for the most part, it's Russo and Gilberti writing these shows with Jared offering notes. Please follow me on Twitter. 
<laughs> it's a tremendous stuff. And Jerry is out of the creative process. The weekly production meetings are being attended by producers Keith Mitchell, the Mike Miller, plus Bob Ryder, Jeremy Boris, Goldilocks, Bill Behrens, Glenn Gilberti, Vince Russo, Jeff Jarrett, Scott Demore, and longtime Memphis wrestler Tony Falk. And I know Conan was added to those production meetings this month because he's one of the Spanish announcers. Goldilocks finally gaining power backstage. Well, she has to be in them. She's in all the pre-takes and stuff. No, gaining power. <laughs> Getting the book. I, I wish. No, actually, maybe I don't, because it'll probably all be that show that she ran last time. There's a note this month that her and Trinity have been filming more skits like that to try and pitch as a television show. So. Uh, oh, that's what Kid Cash was talking about. Mm. And he said that Goldilocks and Trinity have been spending time together. Yes, they've been just shooting, shooting content. Not at all doing anything else. <laughs> yeah. Alright, we'll get to that segment later, but I have one, like, big point about that. Mm. Sabu and the TNA office have made up again, so look for him to return <laughs> soon, likely with a feud with Raven. Great. I like the consistent run of Sabu and TNA getting back together and falling out and getting back together and falling out. They're a real couple you want to root for in a sitcom. I don't know if I do root for those couples. I often turn against them. I don't know. TNA and Sabu were always a pretty good match, though. Yeah. It's like, uh, New Girl. Jess and Nick. The problem with New Girl is they got Jess and Nick together in, like, the middle of the show and then realized it's like, oh, we have nothing else to do with this couple. What do we do? We break them up. Yeah. New Girl spoilers. Sorry. What the fuck? I like New Girl. New Girl's a good show. That last season shouldn't have existed. If I watched the last season, I don't remember it, so... It's the weird political season. TNA opened a New York office and hired former in-demand official Frank Romano as the new chief operating officer, as predicted by Torch sources. Torch, it's funny, the the week before this, it was announced that Frank Romano had left in-demand where he was working. Peter B. Torch was like, he's going to TNA, isn't he? And it's like, yeah, yeah, he is. We called it. (laughs) That's going to be us every time we think of something. So congratulations to PW Torch on their newly found Red Never Wrong status. Yeah, that was them doing their hashtag We're Never Wrong. Quote from the press release they released about this. I'm looking forward to utilizing my experience in the pay-per-view industry for TNA. With TNA being the only 52-week live pay-per-view programming, we have a unique opportunity. TNA has a very progressive business structure as opposed to their progressive politics. <laughs> I was going to make literally the exact same joke. And it has quickly established itself as the definitive alternative to WWE in the market of wrestling and sports entertainment. Sure. Rano will work out of the new TNA office in Manhattan, New York, which opened on June 23rd, which is probably just Romano's house, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, it's one of those rented uh, office spaces that you can rent by the hour. They are absolutely not paying for building space in New York. And if they are, they're stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those places where you go with a laptop and you can use, like, a corner of an office building for a couple hours. You get a nice little desk for yourself and a socket yeah. to plug your things into. And you all have the, the same secretary working for every company at the front. And maybe, you know, they might have sent one of those TNA decals to put on the wall. <laughs> I want one. Establishing a presence in New York will solidify TNA as a major player in the industry, says Jeff Jarrett. Sure. In the June 20th from the inside column, Jeremy Borash confirmed that Joey Legend will debut soon. Scott Demore pushed hard for Legend, who uh, helped his own cause with impressive work on the last WWA tour. <laughs> you a big Joey Legend fan, Liam? I recognize the name. Just Joe from the World Wrestling Federation? I recognize the Joey Legend name, I think from like shoot interviews of this time. Well, this month was the introduction of the red shirt security, and you will see Joey Legend involved in more security-related antics in the future. Hmm. I like the red shirt security because they're extremely biased. They are large men. But also like, 
there's a like an assault happening, and they'll be like, "Jeff, get to the back." You will see that becomes a story. Ah, I think I knew that. There is the red shirt and the black shirt security representing different factions I hope of they have TNA. War games, security war games. Yeah. During the June nineteenth WWE bite, this internet show, Tommy Dreamer said he watches TNA. I tape TNA every Wednesday, and I like it. Dreamer said, "I'm happy to see some of my old friends and comrades working there." Bite this host, Josh Matthews, also noted that Sting appeared on the TNA anniversary show. Oh, they're allowed to acknowledge them at this point. Yeah, well, bite this. All of WWE's like online shows were a little, a little bit of that like Wild West, where it's like, yeah, do what we want. They're like the the AEW dark of it at the time. It's, it's interesting how WWE has changed their mentality in that regard, where like they would do stuff like this and talk about like industry things on their online shows, and even like the, the WWE website. If you go to like the WWE website and search TNA, you'll find like old stories of Impact spoilers. And people get very confused when that pops up. But no, like, WWE had an industry news section on their website for years. Where they just had, like, just whatever happened in the industry. If something happened in TNA or Ring of Honor or whatever, they'd have a little news story there. So they could own the SEO on it and bring people to their website instead of other websites. That was the point of it. Which isn't the worst idea in the world. But, like, that just would not fly in modern WWE. Maybe they, they should have an industry section, but it's only for sports entertainment. Ah, yes. All the other sports entertainment properties. So yeah. it would be, like... What's the name of the basketball thing where you go on trampolines? Oh, the... I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember the name of it. The uh, name escaped me. People are probably shouting it at the podcast. But that, I think that it's qualifies gladiators. as sports entertainment. Gladiators, yes, of course. The the premier, the top-notch sports entertainment. Wipeout. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, that probably counts. Yeah, well, John Cena hosts it, so... Yeah, probably, like, Space Jam. <laughs> yeah, that's sports entertainment. That's more. Ent- I think it's more entertainment with sports. Yeah, they're going to report the result of Space Jam like it's a shoot. That'd be very funny. They talk about the Rick and Morty cameo. The Monstars lost the Toon Squad today <laughs> after Bill Murray showed up. They report on um, Air, Bud. Oh, well, yeah, those are the important sports events you want to see. Oh, they, they do the, um, the Puppy Bowl. I've never actually watched the Puppy Bowl. I've seen clips. I've seen the video game. There's a Puppy Bowl video game? Yes, there is a Puppy Bowl video game. God, I want the Puppy Wall video game. <laughs> Maybe if you're a good boy for the rest of the year, Santa will bring it to you. Hell yeah, it's only a week away until Christmas. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, this is our last episode before Christmas as well. I guess we'll have a Patreon show on, uh, around Christmas, but still. Rinka Christmas. Rinka Christmas indeed. We should get Scott Steiner to Rinka celebrate. Rinka Kringle. That's much better, well done. Thank you. Rinka Krampus. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Vince Russo didn't do himself any favors when he commented on the creative structure. That's it, DNA that's the, the whole sentence. <laughs> Vince Russo just didn't do himself any favors. You could stop there. Yeah, by showing back up on TV. Yes, in the internet review he wrote about Raw. He, a quote from Vince Russo. Can the TNA show get better? Russo asked. Yes. Is there some inconsistency? Yes. Holes in the storylines? Some. However, there is a reason. Despite what, you, what you'd like to believe, the almighty Russo is not writing the show solo. No, he's writing with Glenn and then giving it to Jeff. I'm working with others who I've never worked with before on a creative level. There are some adjustments to be made, other philosophies to understand, growing pains, and we're working them out. And by working them out, he means trying to stab the people who annoy him in the back and take their jobs. Yeah, that's a way of working him out. Uh, yeah, just get rid of the, the inconsistencies and growing pains. It's, yeah, it's, it's like uh, working out a, a tight muscle, you know? You just gotta really fucking get in there. Mm, the column was pulled from the website at the request of TNA management a short time after it was posted. When they were like, what the fuck, Vince? Stop burying our creative process in a review of Raw. Also, don't talk shit about me. <laughs> 
This is part of his undermining process, though. This is how he works. It's how he operates. But yeah, well, he's like... Because he makes himself seem like this, you know, oh, I'm, I'm trying my best to understand other people's point of views. In reality, he's doing mostly the very opposite. Mm. Jeremy Borash has been receiving rave reviews from his fellow employees for the video production work he does for TNA. One colleague reports that Borash didn't know anything about video production until he volunteered for the job in TNA. He has since taught himself from scratch and is known for working extremely long hours early in the week leading into the show. Hall of Famer. Yeah, fair play to him. Like, they're not great, but some of them are very good. Some of them are very weird, but weird in an interesting way most of the time. They're a little avant-garde, aren't they? Yeah, there's a little bit of artsiness to them. But, like, I mean, let's be real. He's probably on, like, three hours sleep and it's 6 a.m. And he's been up all night trying to fucking work out fucking movie maker. He's like, fuck it, I'm going to make this one shot of fucking James Mitchell just pan across a screen that looks like it's uh, a vi- film <laughs> and it's gonna go across like it's being running through a, a fucking projector don't worry about it and then eventually he just gives up and just puts the Jeff Jarrett, AJ Styles and Raven in like some PowerPoint display font on the screen it's like this is the best I can do guys I ran out of time yeah he just it just says <laughs> Jarrett versus Raven versus Styles and he's like I'm so sorry. There's so much to do. I tried to get it to animate, but the effect wouldn't work, and it was coming in from the wrong angle, and it didn't work, so I just went to PowerPoint and screen captured it. <laughs> just that's crying. But look at him now. Huh? Running NXT. Directing everything. He's doing all the Trinity beach photo shoots he needs. That that was actually just, you know, as a, a thank you. Yeah. I got over Trinity and go do some... Frankly, like, commendable poses on a beach. Mm. Like I said in the watch along, that's... I could... I don't have the... the I don't have the skin for that. Couldn't, I couldn't take the heat. I couldn't get, like, naked on a beach. Never mind, like, posing and trying to be sexy while people are just in the background. Yeah, beaches suck. Beaches are horrible places. Mostly because I can't swim and I'll drown. But still. There's rubbish everywhere because, you know, we killed the planet. Mm-hmm. They're, they're awful places. I hate the beach. Which is, like, somewhat sacrilegious, I guess, considering Australia's, like, 80% beach. And, yeah, I thought you just lived on beaches. I mean, I do live near beaches, but they're awful. I hate them. Aren't you, like, taught to surf before you're actually taught, like, your ABCs? Ah, I definitely know how to surf. Hmm. I was on, um, Blue Water High. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Show rocked. And insert the Blue Water High theme. (laughs) Joey Styles was scheduled to debut a TNA talk segment two weeks ago. (laughs) The plan was for Styles to read insider news in a studio format. Styles wouldn't actually make the trip to Nashville every week. Instead, he would tape the segments in Charles Bruzzese's studio in New York, where Styles was already working on Monday nights when he did the play-by-play for MLW. They offered Mark Madden this role as well, but he turned it down, and this never happened because Styles just turned them down in the end. They should have given it to that other guy. Who? The guy who took over for Goldie when she was murdered on the show. Scott Hudson? Yeah, give it to Scott Hudson. Scott Hudson was very good as the backstage interviewer on these, uh, when he showed up on To be honest, like, I love Goldie, but I thought he was a better backstage interviewer than Goldie. He's just a professional. Yeah, Goldie's a good character, but like I think he was a way better interviewer. Hmm. So Joey Styles is meant to make his TNA debut year. They actually advertised this segment on television like two straight weeks. They're like, TNA talk is coming next week. And then the next week they were like, TNA talk is coming next week. And then TNA talk just disappeared. Good. <laughs> So they were going to do the the industry news section of WWE.com, but just on the website, on the television show, where they'd just be like, yo, 
uh, Dave Sahadi left WWE this week. <laughs> I, I wish they were like, uh, Ring of Honor reported 2,000 people for their latest show. In reality, it was probably closer to 200. And then, like, Scott's like, I give a, a Paul London versus AJ Styles two out of three falls, four and a quarter stars. A note from the Wrestling Observer. There was yet another major political wind blown this, uh, this past week, which is the last week of the month. I'm not sure exactly how it went down and it came at a totally unexpected time. The company is going back to a traditional wrestling format, emphasizing baby faces and heels and in reaction. Everyone was told before the June 25th show that there would be no more swearing allowed on TV. Before that, no one really cared. As it turned out, another change was that they didn't like it, didn't pre-tape the backstage segments and did everything live. That meant New Jack ended up doing an F-bomb. Again, they couldn't edit it because they did it live. Good times. People were told this had nothing to do with all the panda people who came in like Bob Carter for the anniversary show. I wonder if it did. I wonder, yeah, if Bob is like, what the fuck is this? No, he's like, what the beep? He's just watching the Vince Russo promo on that anniversary show being like, this is what I'm pouring millions of dollars into? Yeah, he should have gone to the next show. He would have seen a cool cage match. He would have been happy. And last note of the month, Jeff Jarrett has reached a deal to lease the rights to the NWA name for 10 years at a growing rights fee per year. After 10 years, he would then have an option to own the name outright. Oh, I probably should have stuck it in there, huh? Just so they'd have the NWA name? Yeah, make it 2013. And you can you can sell it to Billy Corgan. As we know, they stopped using the NWA TNA name around 2004 and then stopped using the NWA titles outright in 2007. So they, they eventually abandoned the National Wrestling Alliance instead of trying to revive the National Wrestling Alliance. Uh, to be honest, the better choice of the two. Yeah, it probably is. So those are the big notes from this here one-year anniversary month, which brings us to broad topics, which, just for you, Liam... Let's start with Eric Watts. Oh shit, let's go! We will come in straight in with Eric Watts and Goldilocks' relationship continue to develop this month. I like the relationship. I like um, that Watts makes some personal developments in order to appeal to Goldilocks. Yeah, so like the, the first show of the month, NWATNA baby number 48, June 4th, 2003. Goldilocks finishes an interview with Jeff Jarrett and then Eric Watts just strolls in. As he's wont to do. I like that Jeff's just cool with Eric now. Oh yeah, they're just pals. They 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 buried that beef because yeah, he realized that he's not a real threat. <laughs> and Walter stopped trying to like be his friend. So yeah, he's just like a dude now. He's given up antagonizing Jeff, and then he's given up his secondary strategy of trying to aggressively be Jeff's friend. And now he's just moved on. I think he just appreciated that the extent that Eric Watts went to f- and saved him that one time. So he's like, all right, mm. we're cool. So, yeah, Watts has been like a goofball. He's joking around with Goldie. Goldie didn't appreciate it. And then he's like, I can be serious. He's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good guy. I can just be a normal and then he made another joke instead of being Eric Watts. <laughs> yeah. But then. Yeah, so Kid Cash is in the ring. He's demeaning Goldie and Trinity. He's just being, he's like being, his... being the worst. He's very, he's not a nice person, this Kid Cash, Liam. Okay, was this the the week where he was like making all of the comments? <laughs> No, that was later in the month. This wasn't even the worst of Kid Cash this month. <laughs> yeah, okay. So this wasn't the one where he's like making all the very lewd references. Oh, maybe it was because this was the one where he was like mocking Goldie and Trinity's appearance. Yeah, and he and he was making a lot of things, and he's like, ah, I heard some rumors about you two. Yeah, because it's it's not even the worst because he does go on to openly talk about how he loves beating women, which is probably the worst of Kid Cash this month. Mm. But <laughs> but this one he's just like aggressively homophobic too. Yeah, and then Eric Watts comes out to the biggest reaction maybe in the history of TNA. Uh, time to move over Road Warrior Pop, because, brother, we got the Eric Watts Pop. 
It is funny. Every time Eric Watts appears on screen in a backstage pre-tape, you hear the crowd start chanting Watts. Yeah, because he rules. So yeah, he shows up here. He starts beating the shit out of Kid Cash. Just a bunch of fucking sweet power moves. Yeah, he power bombs him. He hits him with a big ass choke slam. He runs wild. He saves Trinity and Goldie. Goldie is cheerleading him all the time. And he leaves with both of them. Yeah, he leaves with Goldie and Trinity and we have our new stable, I guess, of Goldilocks, Trinity and Eric Watts. And as they're leaving, the crowd chants, threesome. Listen, it's subtext. You can't say it's not subtext here. (laughs) It's quite a vert, actually. Yeah, but seriously, Eric Watts looks so good here, destroying his cast. He was awesome. He was a tremendous baby face. It's unfortunate that the match they had this month, way worse. But this segment where he beat the shit out of him ruled. Yeah, I didn't mind the match, but uh, it definitely wasn't... There (laughs) There was some sloppiness to it. So we go to the following week, June 11th, where Eric Watts, Goldilocks, and Trinity are scheduled to have a three-on-one handicap match against Kid Cash. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, I think we're all looking forward to that, but it finally Trinity getting a bit of revenge on Kid Cash after losing every time that she tried to. So Scott Hudson is backstage talking to Watts, Goldie, and Trinity, just having a chat. Because Goldie's busy this uh, this show. Yeah, so that's the reason Scott Hudson is a backstage and a interviewer for the June 11th show, because Goldie is wrestling on this show. Mm. So they're chatting, they're having a nice talk before, suddenly, emerging from a cage behind them, is none other, Liam, than the Monster Abyss. Holy fuck. Abyss. Does it make his TNA debut? If you remember, he was in the original Gauntlet for the Gold as Justice. So this is his second TNA appearance. He has finally returned as the Abyss character for the first time. Abyss making probably the greatest debut of all time. By breaking up an Eric Watts threesome. He is doing us all a favor here by destroying Eric Watts' sex life. I mean, personally, I'm devastated as <laughs> there has never been a pro wrestling thruple done well. And I thought we were finally going to get that. But no, Abyss had to ruin it. Abyss had to kink shame. And I don't appreciate that from Abyss, okay? What a weird way to tape you the monster Abyss. Especially because Abyss literally lives in a cage underneath the stairs in the asylum. And eats cookies. He does enjoy Kid Cash's cookies. So Abyss, who is not called Abyss this month, he's like a, a mystery mass man. He has not yet been given a name in the month of June. I love oh, like weird jean vest and jeans Abyss. Mm. And it kind of makes him fit with Kid Cash too, because Kid Cash also looks like a giant scumbag. <laughs> he looks like the trailer park monster as opposed to like the, you know, demon monster. Yeah, 100%. So Abyss beats the shit out of Eric Watts so that Kid Cash faces Trinity and Goldie by himself, uh, which he wins after Abyss hits the first black hole slam on Trinity. And a really good one. It was. Abyss hitting black hole slams on smaller wrestlers is the best. Well, even to be fair, he hit a really good one on Eric Watts as well. Uh, Occasionally, very occasionally, when he's doing it on a smaller wrestler. He'll do a double rotation black hole slam. I forget who it was too, but I, I was going through some Jimmy Ray stuff the other day and I was watching an Embassy Six Man and I, it was either Jack Evans or it was Matt Seidel and he caught one of them out of a flip and hit the double black hole slam and I popped out of my seat. He's so good. He's the best. Uh, we should mention Jimmy Ray did pass away this week. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. It's someone that we're definitely going to get to, we've seen a bit on the show already, but someone whose big TNA run hasn't yet happened. Yeah, we'll still talk. He still has some asylum appearances to make, as you mentioned. He's, he's a lower card X Division guy at this stage, you know, just popping up in multi mans or some tag matches here and there. So he, he hasn't been given an opportunity to make much of an impression in TNA, where we are in the timeline at the moment. 
But as you said, when we get to 2007 and we get to the, the team with Lance Hoyt and Christy Hemi, the Rock and Rave Infection, which is what I, I think most people remember him for from TNA. I'm looking forward to getting to that stuff because I, I enjoyed that character. I enjoyed them just hitting people with rock tar- guitars. It's a good bit. Yeah, that's definitely what I knew him from. And now as I've been kind of mirroring my TNA watch along with Ring of Honor stuff, I've also started to see the beginnings of the, the AJ Styles feud, which happened at the same time, which was kind of the... The story of the vet trying to fire up the youngster to get up on that next level. Honestly, go back and watch that stuff, because you get to see Jimmy Ray versus, like, every name from that era. You get to see him work Daniels, you get to see him work Styles, you get to work, see him work Punk and Joe, and they're all out there, and it's, they're all really good matches, and you should definitely go back and check them out, if you haven't already seen them. Or even if you have, go and do a, go and do a rewatch of them. I'm really excited to reach that Embassy stuff, because that's the stuff I, I know very little about. Yeah, very unfortunate. Far too young. 39. And just a, a, a completely um, overlooked talent in a lot of ways. Mm. So yeah, go back and watch your Jimmy Rave stuff. Go back and watch your... Especially with like all the Ring of Honor stuff going down at the same time, you know? Go out there and check all that stuff out. Yeah, to return to the dramatic tonal shift back to Eric Watts. <laughs> yes. Goldilocks, we move on to the following week after they lost the two-on-one handicap match against Kid Cash, Trinity, and Goldie. So the following week, Goldilocks is interviewing Tracy and Veronica, known by the name of Bitch Slap. It's actually a good name, to be fair. It's pretty good. And when they do it, they do a little slap. They, like, do a little high-five to each other when they say bitch slap. So Watts wants to talk to Goldie, then Kid Cash is meant to be being interviewed by Goldilocks, and obviously Eric Watts doesn't want that. He wants to protect Goldie from Kid Cash. Yeah, well, that's a terrible idea. It's a self-admitted, like, lover of beating women. You really shouldn't be interviewing him here on this wrestling show. Also, like, NWA, TNA should be, like, culpable for this. (laughs) <laughs> you should not be putting Kid Cash in, in like any environment close to women, especially given how that interview turns out. So instead of Goldilocks interviewing Kid Cash, Eric Watts interviews Kid Cash in the ring. And Kid Cash, this is the promo where he literally just starts talking about how he gets off beating women. Yeah. He is sexually aroused when he beats a woman. Th- that's, that's the Kid Cash character. <laughs> I li- like the, the thing about this segment, though, is like, at least it's kind of gone so far over the top now that it's no longer like... Like, it's so absurd now that it's not, Mm. like, real and upsetting as much. Like, when it was the Trinity stuff, it was just blatant, like, like domestic abuse. Yeah, that segment, particularly last month, where he just beat the shit out of Trinity, was, like, like, this is him being cartoonishly, like, misogynistic. Yeah. That was the exact word I was going to use as well. Whereas last week, he was just, like, viscerally misogynistic, or last month. Yeah. So he's doing the interview. He's about to beat the hell out of Cash again. He takes him up for a chokeslam, but then we see on the screen that Goldilocks is trapped backstage inside the cage of Abyss, who earlier in the show, Kid Cash visited Abyss's cage. He's like, hey, buddy. Hey, pal. You want to help me out again? Did you get those cookies I left you? He's he's obviously a nice guy to get to Abyss. Maybe if he treated Trinity or Goldilocks like this, he wouldn't have a problem. Locking them in a cage? All right. Maybe he would still have a problem. So, yeah, Goldilocks is trapped backstage in the cage with Abyss. Eric Watts runs to try and save Goldilocks from the cage, but uh, it cannot. He tries to kick the lock off of the cage. <laughs> Which, like, you know what? Fair play. <laughs> A very valiant effort here from Eric Watts. Um, he gets jumped from behind by Cash and laid out um, and as Goldie is trapped in the cage. But she's fine by the next week, so... <laughs> I guess, like, Abyss just let her out. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just a trap. Abyss understood. Yeah. Um, they're kind of doing, like, you know, the monster and damsel in distress shtick here, where it's like, he's kind of, Abyss is playing with her hair the whole time, but not really, like, hurting her or anything. 
which isn't the first time we would have an angle about Abyss being infatuated with a backstage announcer. Yeah. Who's a blonde. Oh god, they, they really went back to this well. He has a type. He really does. And then last segment of the month, we had Kid Cash against Eric Watts. Yeah, okay, listen. I'm not going to come out here and say that this was a five-star classic. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was pretty sloppy. But between the endless Cash headlocks, Watts got to do some cool power moves. Cash went for a Rana and then Watts just dropped him and it was actually kind of awesome though because it looked like he threw him into like a side power bomb and I was like, you know what? Fuck yeah, I don't care. That ruled. Because yeah, I think it was just meant to be a double spring Rana but like Watts just didn't take the bump so it just looked like he, I think he, just, I think he tripped because he just went down mm. instead of like basing. I think uh, you could tell that Watts was kind of pissed off about it because he got up and took a, like a brilliant swinging DDT bump from Cash. Yeah. To like, like, so that like, fuck, I fucked that up, but I'm going to get up and go extra hard on the next bump to make up for it. I have pretty low standards for like, what stuff, and I'll be happy with it. And this past Don't that. I know it. Well, I'm like, well, let's be real. The angles are always tremendous. I just don't expect a lot from him in ring. I feel like watching this match, he lost because Abyss ran out, Black Hole slammed him, Cash pinned him. I feel like Watson would be a much better tag team wrestler. Who would you team him with? I have no idea, but, like, somebody who could, like, do the selling. Amazing Red and Watts is clearly the tag team they should have had. That's, like, our team. That's my guy and your guy together. So, like, you have Red, the guy who can take the beating and get the crowd invested, and then he makes the hot tag to Watts, who does his, like, three kick-ass power moves and doesn't have to do any selling. You know what? I feel like Saban would be a really good partner for Watts, because he'd be able to do that, but he could also match his chaotic energy in the promos. Mm. Because Saban is also a very chaotic individual. He's a goofball. As I saw from the recent WrestleHouse skit. Slow motion Saban. There is nothing better in the world than Not even that one. I, would, I meant like the, like the most recent one where he just came out and screamed. Or the one where he was sitting at the piano and everyone was like, ooh, Chris Saban. I really like Chris Saban. Chris Saban's the best. I obviously love Saban. Like, I think he's a really good worker. But I, I love him as a character. Mm. <laughs> just a, like a, a goofball of a guy. And um, Saban was... This is jumping way ahead in TNA history, but you know, why not? Saban was like the guy that I was so... The most most happy I was ever for a TNA title changing hands. Mm. Was Saban winning that belt? Hail Saban. We'll get to that in 2013. Hail Saban. So that's that's the Eric Watts stuff for the month. I, I'm making you happy by doing Watts first. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, and I, I, I like that you've softened on Watts a little bit. You're not a... You're not, listen, you're not, on, you're not um, a Watt head. I'll mm. think of something better. But you've uh, you've softened. I can tell, because you're giggling. You're giggling in what segments? He's, his chaotic charisma is getting to you. I cannot deny the segment where he beat the shit out of Kid Cash as, like, the biggest baby face in the company. It ruled. He was an act, because this company has nobody who's likable. So somebody coming out and getting a cool pop is cool. Yeah. But you heard it here from Garrett. Watts is the only likable guy on the show. Listen, in the month of June, you might be right. No, AMW are likable again, so they're up there with him. Not according to the crowd. Oh, we'll get to that. I'm mad at that crowd, but we'll wait until the tag stuff. I wrote so many notes about that match. I'm so excited to go through them. So we'll move on to the TNA debut, Liam, of one o- none other than the icon, Sting. Yeah. <laughs> is that just a general reaction to Sting, or still your doubt that this is Sting? Ah, listen, someone who looked like Sting debuted. This is Sting. Mmm... And to be fair, it's not like he was half-assing or phoning it in or like, this is a paycheck. He was Sting. He was just being Sting. Whoever was out there put a lot of effort in, and I do appreciate that. <laughs> you and your doubt of TNA. Listen, anyone can wear the paint. That's true, but not everyone can be Sting. Yeah, my point exactly. Should we start with the Russo stuff, then go into the Sting stuff? Because um, the Russo stuff leads to it. 
Uh, no, we'll wait until the world... Oh, God, because there's, there's two interlocking stories there. There's, like, the world title stuff and there's the the Sting stuff. I think we should leave the Sting stuff till after the world title stuff. Alright, so, fine. We won't do Sting. <sighs> Throwing the format out the window. Yeah, uh, we won't do some guy who looks like Sting until after. <sighs> You're disgusting. Disgusting behaviour. I'm disgusting. Uh, I'm ready to... I'm not ready to disgusting. That's good wordplay. Thank you sidestep that. That was good. <laughs> no, I won't. Now that we're not doing Sting, that means we have to go to the world title stuff, which means we have to talk about Glenn Gilberti. Yes! My favourite pro wrestler! This is your plan all along to deviate us away from the goodness of Sting to Glenn Gilberti. Yeah, I went from a bad wrestler to a good wrestler. So, Jeff Jarrett, NWA champion, after we had the whole month the entire one-month build to Glenn Gilberti against Jeff Jarrett. We finally got the match. Yep. Glenn Gilberti, Jeff Jarrett for the NWA title. And it was it was fine. <laughs> it was okay. You liked this match more than me. I gave it a gentleman's three. I thought it was a perfectly... Ex- or did I go 2.75? I might have been too spiteful to give it a gentleman's three. I think I went 2.75 and you went three. But listen, it was a perfectly acceptable world title match. The problem is, like, it was not quite good enough for Glenn to be like, well, look, I did it. But it was also not bad enough for, like, Glenn detractors to be like, oh, Glenn sucks, he shot the bed. Like, they had a perfectly acceptable, decent world title match. It was the most, like... You know, I I went slightly below, but it's like, if you ever want to see a gentleman's story. It is perfectly adequate wrestling. Perfectly competent pro wrestling. To be fair to Disco, he's not a bad wrestler. He's not a good wrestler, but he's not a bad wrestler. Yeah, he's not the guy who'll go out there and have the worst match you'll ever see, but he will also very rarely go out there and have a good match. Ah, I see. You haven't been delving into the WWA stuff. Not yet. But, like, for the most part, like, technically, he's fine. He can wrestle a match. And this was him wrestling a match. I will say, I am disgusted at, like, this is the second week in a row, because the Raven match the week before, which we covered in the last episode, was also a body part match. Seeing Glenn work over somebody's leg is just like, why are you making me watch this DNA? (laughs) Yeah, it was unfortunate. Of course, in the lead-up to this match throughout the show, there was some pretty... Like, listen, there's some good segments here. Like, Gilberti is a good goofball and can do good goofball segments, like leading a prayer circle to, mm-hmm. <laughs> and asking Vince Russo for guidance. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're standing there, sex, hand in hand, all of them, including the Nazis, allegedly. <laughs> no, no, they were there. <laughs> so they were standing together and Glenn was like, Lord, guide me to the world championship this month. Lord, led Vince Russo to me because Russo returned to help Glenn beat Raven last week. Yeah, we'll get into that in a minute, by the way. We've got some fucking problems with that shit. My least favourite part of this, the build to this, was Jeff Jarrett did an interview during this show <laughs> where he was talking about how Glenn Gilberti couldn't possibly win the title. It would be a disgrace to the NWA. It would be a disgrace to professional wrestling. It would sully the integrity of our sport. Even Not though, right. like, two weeks ago, he did that promo being like, oh, you know, people change. He might be a real wrestler now. You know what it was? Two weeks ago, he's like, people change. And then the week after, he's like, no, he didn't change. He did beat the shit out of him the week after. So you know what? Fair. He's like, no, this guy, he's the same. He's the same guy. So yeah, after the match, you know, perfectly decent, normal match. But the finish, Vince Russo runs out with his baseball bat. Big return. Well, he returned last week. But Oh, oh wait, yeah. Sorry, those, the fact that it was two NWA title matches, like, uh, like, after this as well, 
and then this, and then Russo. Russo was interfering in three main events in a row. Helping a different person every time. So, if you remember, the Raven-Gilberti match, Russo returned to help Gilberti beat Raven. Yes. Right here, June 4th, Jarrett Gilberti, Russo comes out with his bat, he's standing, Jarrett one side, Gilberti the other, swings the hit Jarrett, swerves, Liam. Ken swerve. He swerves to knock Gilberti out, Jarrett retains the title over Gilberti after interference from Vince Russo. And everyone's like, oh, what's going on? Why did he screw Glenn? I don't think anyone actually was going like that. <laughs> to be fair to Russo, no one swivels the hips better than Vince Russo. He's done it multiple times in TNA already, so... He is kind of the goat of swiveling the hips. And he's going to do it again next week, so... <laughs> yeah. Alright, so that brings us to NWA TNA pay number 49, June 11th, in which Glenn Gilberti does an in-ring promo where he's talking about how oh, Russo was never good anyway. Babyface, Glenn Gilberti. Ace of the company. I don't even think he's a babyface. I think he's just... He was trying to get cheered in this segment. No, I don't think he was. I think he was. There was definitely points where he was like, Gar Russo, boo, and trying to get the crowd into it, and the crowd was not buying a second of it. Well, yeah, because he kept on talking until the crowd started chanting boring. (laughs) Yeah, but he was definitely trying to be like, maybe not a complete babyface, but he was definitely trying to be more of a face in this. Yeah, so he's talking about all the shitty stuff Russo booked in WCW and how he spent years pretending to like it so he could be Russo's friend. Here we are, back to the work shoot nonsense here. Until Russo came out, mad at him, uh, they went into a little scuffle until the Harris brothers interfered and beat the shit out of Glenn. (gasps) Glenn had to go to hospital. Na 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 na. Na 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 na. (laughs) So that is the the major disco stuff. We'll get, I think, is there any more disco this month? Uh, yeah, he comes back in the the other show. Oh, he he main events the last show of the month, of course. Yes. <laughs> so the other we'll we'll pivot then. Do you want to finish disco? Well, no, it it, it we'll do it chronologically. The it disco stuff kind of goes into the Raven stuff, so we can do that at the end. And the Raven stuff goes into the Douglas stuff, and the Douglas stuff goes into the, like it all works together. So yeah, the main event of this show: AJ Styles versus Raven versus Jeff Jarrett for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. They spent five weeks, Liam. Five weeks building to Disco Inferno against Jeff Jarrett, and then did Styles, Raven, and Jarrett, where Styles wins the title on a one-week build. So, for those who listened to the Watch Along, mm-hmm. know that this went down very well with me. I don't think anything in TNA history. We've covered a year of TNA now. I do, and we've covered six months of 2010. We're doing ring King. We've done all this so far. Nothing broke you as much as the end of this match. And I think what... You cannot find the words. It's just truly a baffling choice. Like, not only to make the first world title that AJ Styles wins... This nonsense, and not only to make it him as a heel, you make AJ Styles' like defining moment in this company at this point his biggest achievement. Like the guy that you, like one of two people that you signed at the start of the company, the guy that, much to everyone's, you know, they didn't know this or they, they don't choose to believe this, like that first show was about AJ Styles. Right? This this whole year has been about AJ Styles, right? You finally it's your guy. 
firmly your guy. You've brought him up to this level. He's competing for the NWA title. He is winning the NWA title. This should be a big, giant, crowning moment for the company because it proves that you can raise up your own talent against all these ex-WWE, ex-WCW, ex-ECW guys, and you make it about Vince Russo. Blatantly about Vince Russo. And then the next week... He's crowning like, oh, it's AJ Styles, new NWA champion. The whole segment is about Vince Russo. There's a point in that segment where Vince Russo literally steps in front of him to cut the promo. Because this is about Vince Russo. And I don't even mind Vince Russo being a focal point on the show because I think Vince Russo is a charismatic character. But this is the same thing that we saw with the 2010 uh, AJ Flair stuff where it's Flair eating up AJ's push. This is Vince Russo eating up AJ's push, which is way worse because it's Vince Russo and not Ric Flair. This is so stupid. Like, to make AJ Styles' TNA crowning moment about Vince Russo, it's unfathomable. There's no reason to do this. You can have the swerve, but still make it about AJ. And probably don't do it in his first title win. His first world title win. It's very silly. It's... You watch it and it's impossible to like... (sighs) I know that Russo has his defenders. Trust me, I've been talking to him. But there's... I don't think there's any defense of this. Unless you liked it. And then you're like, come on, defend it. (laughs) Well, you know, it's very good for (laughs) AJ. No, there really is no defense of it. Like, it just... The booking of AJ in like 2003, basically since he went heavyweight... Where he started feuding with Jarrett, lost to Jarrett, had that like weird feud with Larry Zabisco. He had like a tag team with D'Lo Brown that broke up for no reason. And then like two weeks after they broke up that tag team, we didn't mention it, AJ did become number one contender by beating D'Lo in a very good match, by the way. That AJ D'Lo match on the June 4th match, that match rocked. And, you know, Raven helped him win. Yeah, Raven helped him win, then Raven got into the match because Jared promised him a title match, which is why it became a triple threat. And, like, the booking of Styles, he just turns. Like, he, he was a heel for the first, like, four months of the year, then turned babyface to team with D'Lo, agreed to break up with D'Lo, turned heel again. And I'm just like, why would anybody on Earth care about AJ Styles? This is not his last turn of the year either, by the way. So you can look forward to more AJ turns. Yeah, but, like... I can't even get mad at that because that's the structure of the show. There is no there is no stable face or heel, even though that's apparently the new direction of the company. But it's just it's just they didn't build to this. Like they just didn't. They fucked up the two biggest moments that they that they had for their homegrown guys. Amazing Red winning the X Division title and AJ Styles winning the NWA title. Both of them were overshadowed by outside bullshit. Mm. And like they spent four weeks building to Gliberti getting a title shot. And then just decided to pull the belt on AJ. Two months ago, AJ was a guy who couldn't beat Mike Sanders in a tag team match. And a guy who lost to Glenn Gilberti. <laughs> like, they did nothing to prepare him for this. Other than they decided, maybe even this week, I don't know, let's just put the belt on AJ. And honestly, I think it's a little bit of spite from Jeff Jarrett. That's like, let's put the belt on AJ instead of Raven. Hmm. It's like, uh, and Raven can't give out. It's like, oh, we're pushing the young guy. You can't give out about that, can you, Raven? And I, I really do think it's like Jared is so reluctant to put over Raven, who they don't get along with, even though there's a note that they they have a clear the air meeting this week or this month. But they still clearly don't get along, and Jared would rather not drop the belt to Raven, so he decides to drop it to Styles instead out of spite. I'm gonna spitefully put over the future. 
Yeah, it's just, uh, we should mention Shane Douglas made his TNA debut in this match. Which um, I'm happy about, because he feels like a name. Yeah, so the franchise showed up to take Raven out of the match, so it came down to Styles and Jarrett, and then Russo showed up, did the swerve for the third straight goddamn week. Fucking swerve. <laughs> so Raven against Gilberti, swerved on Raven to side with Gilberti, Gilberti against Jarrett, swerved on Gilberti to side with Jarrett, and then Styles, Raven, Jarrett, swerved on Jarrett to side with Styles. What a cohesive uh, show with an emphasis on faces and heels. If you're AJ... And you're looking at this guy, and you're like, all right, so he's turned on literally everybody he's ever had an association with in this company. And, like, even in real life. He's trying to stab Jeff Jarrett in the back in real life. He's already stabbed Jerry Jarrett in the back in real life. And, literally, the story this month is that Vince Russo owns the Sports Entertainment Extreme trademark, and he's not allowing Glenn Gilberti, Mike Sanders, the Harris Brothers, Sonny Siaki to use it. To be fair, this is a good in-character thing to say, but it annoys me because of the real-life stuff. The next mm-hmm. show, on after this, he cuts a promo about loyalty. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, he turns on literally everybody. And AJ's like, oh, yeah, this is my guy. He needs Larry Z to come back and slap some fucking sense into him. You know, Larry Z beating the shit out of Vince Russo would be very enjoyable. And, like, and like take, it, take an AJ back. <sighs> so, that brings us to NWA TNA Baby number 50, June 18th, 2003. Where Vince Russo comes to the ring. Yeah, with a brand new haircut. Oh, it's the worst haircut I've ever seen in my life. I fixated on this haircut in the watch-along for a very long time. And I guess we should bust it out here. Brand new stage, too, for the anniversary show. Because this is the first time you really see it. The complete new presentation. It's a very, like, classic 90s stage in a lot of ways. It has that, like, industrial feel to it. In 2003. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, the original TNA stage was very, like, 1989. And now their 2003 update is very, like, 1999. Yeah, it feels like a lot of extra props from some, like, sci-fi... I, I, I said, um, Star Trek on the thing, but I think it's, like, a little more low budget. Hmm. Like, um, what's the one with the gates? Stargate? <laughs> yeah, Stargate. It feels like Stargate extras. They got a bunch of props from Stargate and just threw them together and formed a stage. Yeah, feels like that. They are very slowly making their way toward a modern stage. Yeah. I like that there's always been the two entrances. Mm. I appreciate that consistency. That's a TNA staple right up until... Actually, no, pre-Hogan-Bischoff. No, it's a Hogan-Bischoff thing they get rid of. So yeah, Hogan-Bischoff again. TNA staple for the entire history. Two tunnels. Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff. Nah, no more tunnels. The tunnels only got you so far, bro. But like, the thing about the tunnels is like people love the tunnels. That, that's what's so good about like the beginning of AEW. They just... It was an amalgamate... An amalgamate... An... Mm. Amalgamation. Amalgamation of a bunch of stuff that wrestling fans just liked. <laughs> that it's like, hey, yeah. what do what do people what do people like about like peak TNA? Oh, the tunnels were really cool. Let's bring the tunnels in. And it makes more sense when you realize the head of AEW's production is Keith Mitchell, who was the yeah. head of TNA's production at the very beginning. And like, and look, the tunnels have become like a fabled storyline tool now, mm. which is like tremendous. Well, it was always the case with TNA as well, though. Did they do that? Face heel tunnels as well. Yeah, TNA always did face heel tunnels. Did, yeah, but did they ever tease like? A face going down the heel tunnel. No. Yeah, so it never got to, like, that levels of lore. Lore. I love lore. I love lore so much. So Russo's doing this promo with his horrible haircut. At one point, he points out that he paid more for this haircut than people do their trailers. Which means he really got ripped off on this haircut. The amazing, like, the pop we had after, like, 
a minute or two of talking about Vince Russo's hair for his like first line to be about his hair. It's just a uh, hideous. He looks like a different human being with this hair. Well, to be fair, he also grew out his like facial hair a little bit, so he looks a lot better in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of new hair choices that were terrible. Uh, so AJ has also dyed his hair to a lighter shade of brown. It's It looks like, I don't like it. Which I realise is a go-to heel move for him, because he did it again in 2010 with Ric Flair. Fair enough, he only did highlights then instead of a lighter shade of brown, but still. When he went to New Japan, he should have come in as, like, bleach blonde. <laughs> That's his Bullet Club hair. Uh, so I rewatched this promo earlier today as well, because mm. I usually rewatch promos for shows we did a watch along for, just to make sure I didn't miss anything. This promo was the worst promo in TNA history. Because it goes, like, 20 minutes? It's so long. It's so long, because I was doing the show notes while watching the promo, and, like, I had done, like, a, a show and a half's worth of promo, uh, show notes, and I was just like, oh, this this, this is still going. <laughs> He's still talking. <laughs> Yeah, and it is multiple long promos. So Russo comes out and he's cutting like the cheapest heat promo he's ever cut. He feels like he feels like he's given up on the idea of his own character. I don't think he knows what his character is anymore. But like, yeah, that's the thing. I think he did in like sex era, where it's like, oh, sports entertainment is good, traditional wrestling is bad. You know what? It's very easy to boil down his character to a single sentence. Then now he comes out. And he's doing this, like, the South sucks, you're all inbred hicks. I'm from New York. That's where real people are from. Real civilized folk are from. That's the, the, the extent of his promo here. And even AJ's promo was quite similar. And it's like, what is this? Why are you doing what this? does the Vince Russo character want at this point? Mm. I don't know. To be friends with Jeff Jarrett? Is that still the thing they're doing? Sex era stuff was like to prove this point and to prove that like Jarrett's a hypocrite. Yeah. That's what he wanted then. Now he wants AJ to be the standard bearer? Sure. Because he's like AJ's better than Sting. He's better than Shawn Michaels. He's better than Bret Hart. Yeah. He's like an AJ stan. I don't know. Even like Jerry Jarrett makes his on-air debut on this show where he does a sit-down interview with Mike Tanay. And during that sit-down interview with Mike Tanay, he mentions how, like, Vince Russo just wants to be Jeff's pal. And he's going through all these things where he thinks if he can just get to a stage where him and Jeff are on good terms again, his life will be good again. And I'm like, I think that's an interesting character arc, but also it's not what Vince is doing anymore. No, there was a time when that was the plan. Jerry doesn't watch the show anymore. He's not, he doesn't have control. He doesn't care. No, Jerry's just trying to put over the stories that he had when he still had some writing influence like seven months ago. Yeah. You know, when I was writing the show, it was actually a, a nuanced tale about someone trying to become friends with an old friend because that friend was essential to their, their well-being. Now, it's he's just mocking Southern people for, I don't know, reasons. Yeah, hate. Yeah, so Russo does this very long promo where then he introduces is AJ Styles, who comes out and does an equally very long, very bad promo. AJ is hideous this month. Because he does a go-home promo the week before for the world title match where he's like people didn't think I'd ever be here people were just like I'm the cruiserweight guy and like hideous horrific stuff and like this is maybe even worse because he's basically doing a worse version of the promo Vince Russo just did but Vince Russo at least has the charisma to pull it off whereas AJ's like well you you guys have no jobs you guys have no jobs unlike me AJ Styles Liam does love his southern accent it's so much fun. And Russo's being like, you're not like the Southern people. You're like a dignified, normal person. I'll take you to New York so you can become a star. 
Which I was like, is that like, he's go- they're going to the Fed? Is that what that is? Yeah, but like, I'm so used to the shooty pew-pew stuff that I legitimately thought that's what he meant. This is like the D-text, though, because he wants to get in with AJ so that when WWE inevitably sign AJ, they have to take Russo with them. Maybe that is the Vince Russo goal. It would have been very funny if I just literally spilled milk all over myself. Well done, Garrett. Who spills <laughs> milk on themselves? Me, apparently. It would have been very funny if, like, Roman Reigns standing in the ring. Royal Rumble 2016. Three, I almost two, did a spit one. take because I knew where you were going. Vince Russo. Bam! Bam! Sex sells! Bam! Bro! Bam! Bro! Bam! Bro! Walks out with AJ Styles. <laughs> Goes out there with AJ, they both get in the ring, swivels the hips, attacks AJ, Roman gets him, dumps him over the top. And he, Vince Russo has joined the shield. Oh, he does the fist. Uh, one sec, let me clean up this milk. <laughs> now we finished the bit. Garrett, stop milking that one. Listen, I'm not going to cry over spilled milk, so let's... <laughs> How dare you. Don't have a cow, man. Uh, <laughs> Ball's back in your court, buddy. <laughs> uh, Kelsey, um, actually... <laughs> So, Stiles finishes that promo about how he is a good Southern man instead of the rest of the crowd who are bad Southern people before D'Lo Brown comes out. Uh, you're looking at the real deal now. This promo is so long. So, D'Lo talks about how Vince Russo made him. That's, like, this is what D'Lo sent out to say. That, like, everybody in the WWF thought I was a mid-card nerd, but you, Vince Russo, you believed in me. You gave me, like, the swagger and the head bobble and all the things that made D'Lo Brown D'Lo Brown. And then, D- Vince Russo's like... I didn't give a shit about you. (laughs) Again, this is all about Vince. AJ's big I'm the champ. First rivalry. All about Vince. It's, like, astounding that the baby face comes out here to say that the heel is great and made him everything he is. And then the heel is the guy who's like, nah, I didn't do shit, I don't care about you. (laughs) Maybe D'Lo was angling to be in this new Vince Russo group. Well, the the whole thing here is that AJ's like, I was going to let you be my tag team partner against Sting and Jeff Jarrett, but not anymore, D-Lo. Yeah. They should have been. That match probably would have been better. So after they talk for, like, legitimately 20 minutes, it's so long. This promo is unbearably long. Like, raw opening segments are like, geez, guys, tone it back. Mm. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, ah, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. 
you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slap pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Eventually, AJ and D'Lo brawl, then Raven comes out to try and get at Russo, but then Shane Douglas comes out to drop Raven. Like, this uh, Shane Douglas stuff is so weird, because he's just kind of, like, showing up at this point, with no real explanation. Well, he does explain it in the last show of the month. He is attacking Raven in particular. Two weeks of him just showing up, like... For no reason. Just jumping Raven at any given opportunity. Very confusing at the time, I'm sure. So, we can talk about Sting now? Can we talk about Sting? We can talk about this guy who resembles WCW star Sting. So, as a fun note, on the June 11th show where they announced that Sting will be making his debut, there's a fun thing where the deal with Sting was not made until during this pay-per-view. <laughs> So, like, during the show, they were like, can we get the deal made with Sting so we can announce it on air during the show? So, legitimately, Mike Tanay was not told that Sting was making his TNA debut until, like, literally before he said it on air. It's like, oh, by the way, Mike, we just struck a deal with Sting, so you're going to announce that in a second. That made Don West's, like, legitimate reaction so much better then. Yeah, so, like, usually it's, you know, they, they do the hold my finger up to my ear. What's that? What am I being told? Oh my god thing. You know, that's the, the routine. In this instance, that's actually what happened. That rules. I love when the announcers are kept in the dark about something. Well, to be fair, in this instance, they weren't kept in the dark at least. It was just the deal wasn't done until they were on the air. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Sting was using that to his advantage. Yeah, it's like, oh, if you want to announce it tonight, another 500 bucks. Yeah. How much was Sting making for this, do you think? Good little chunk of change. Probably, like, in the region of five grand, right? He's making more than Raven for less appearances. Yeah, because when you think, like, Scott Hall was making something, I think it was, like, seven grand for his early TNA appearances, and that's Scott Hall, and, like, Scott Hall's a star, but he's not Sting. I mean, let's be real, no one on this show is Sting. No, so Sting makes his debut earlier in the show. Sandman, D'Lo Brown, and Kazarian beat Don Harris, David Young, and Sonny Siaki in the opener of the anniversary show. And Sting comes out to make the save after sex attacks them. Crowd goes nuts for Sting. You get a big Sting pop. My belief here is that they did this to prove that Sting was actually here because no one believed them. Well, to be fair, at this stage, people had already bought or not bought the show, so that wouldn't make much difference. I don't know, maybe. Maybe, like, oh... 
uh, Jeff uh, Jenkins. Sure. Um, so you know how you were like, oh, Sting's not going to be there. I'll go order the pay per view right now. Sting came out in the first segment. He's going to be in the main event. And then old Jeffrey Jenkins is like, oh, I got to go drop the twenty-five bucks. This Jeffrey Jenkins seems just as cynical as you are. Well, Jeffrey Jenkins is a realist. Also, these pay per views are nine ninety-nine. Yeah, but it, um, conversion. He's also in Australia. He's willing to pay more for Sting. <laughs> yeah, he, he, yeah. He called up the pay per view provider and he's like, "Listen, I want to see this Sting show." And it's like, "Only nine ninety nine, please." And it's like, "No, take twenty five dollars." And they're like, "Nine ninety nine USD," and he's like, "Oh God, conversion rates." <laughs> <laughs> so Sting versus and Jeff Jarrett defeat AJ Styles and his partner Liam, the returning Sean Waltman. Yeah, who couldn't be bothered to wear gear to the Sting match. He is wrestling Sting on pay-per-view, and he shows up in a tracksuit. I would have told him to get the fuck out. It's a very high-end tracksuit, to be fair. It does, he, like, he looks good, but not for this. Like, I'm, if he shows up, in, like, if I'm, I don't know who's even fucking running the show at this point. Jeff. If I'm Jeff and he shows up for this, I'm like, get to the fucking back, mate. <laughs> like... If you don't have gear in three seconds, we're changing shit around and Delo's in the main event. Mm-hmm. Sean Waltman was kept away from wrestlers until it was time for his appearance once he was given his... Cause that's how he got away with it. He was hiding from the wrestlers, <laughs> so he didn't have to put his gear on. Maybe he was like, I don't have a locker room, I can't change. Yeah, I don't want to get in the nutty. Once he was given his key, Waltman entered the building with China, who he was there back together with. Oh, China? They should have booked China for this! Why didn't they put China <laughs> on the show? You should have seen Sean Waltman's gear and it's like, China, you go out and team with AJ instead. <laughs> Probably would have been bigger news, to be honest. China's a bigger star than Sean Waltman. He took a second to fix his hair and finally made his way to the arena. So I think they kind of blew his cue. They only went to get him when he was literally meant to come out, which is the reason there was like 20 seconds between the start of his music and him actually entering the building. I liked it, though, because it made sense with Sean Waltman. That's true. And like the entire story here, the entire reason this is big and surprising is that Sean Waltman was the guy who was like, I'll never work with Vince Russo. And now he is Vince Russo's representative teaming with Vince Russo's guy, AJ Styles, against Sting. And they did the too sweet. It was a very bad too sweet. Yeah, my assumption is because they didn't want to touch each other. They literally missed. They went to do too sweet and they just kind of missed and their hands just kind of clamped together instead of their fingers. Also, like, you know, Styles, like, trusted Russo and Russo just bought a guy who, like, tried to beat up Styles a bunch. Yeah, the guy who literally Styles beat the uh, for the X title last year and who had a, a big rivalry with AJ Styles. Yeah, this, this uh, Vince Russo guy doesn't seem like a good like, a manager. He seems, like, problematic. To go back to the Too Sweet for a moment, on the the next week's show, the opening video package has a slow motion of that Too Sweet. Too Sweet. And I'm like, why did you do a slow motion of the horrific, mistimed Too Sweet? I mean, because it's a moment, brother. So, main event, Sting and Jeff Jarrett defeat the team of AJ Styles and Sean Waltman in a perfectly good little match. It's nothing special, but it's just Sting is there. That's that's the only reason this match is interesting. And there was a cool finish. I liked the stroke from the middle rope, too. Yeah, so Shane Raven comes out again to try and take out Vince Russo. Shane Douglas cuts him off again. They brawl to the back. And then Sting is brawling on the floor with Waltman while Jarrett beats Styles with a top rope stroke. So AJ is pinned the week after he wins the belt. To set up another match, I assume. But he already had the rematch. You didn't need to pin AJ. Listen... And, like, the problem is then, like, who do you pin in this match? Waltman's probably not taking the fall, and Jarrett and Sting certainly aren't taking the fall. So well, it's like, you sh- it should be Waltman. <laughs> it should 100% be Waltman as the guy who's pinned, but AJ is the, the fourth biggest star in, the, the like, the mind of these people. Like, 
I'm sorry, like, Waltman, let's sting pin you or something. If you don't want to take Jeff, sure, but, like, let's sting pin you at least. There should be no problem with being pinned by Sting. No wrestler should be like, I'm not, I can't be pinned by Sting, brother. Sting can pin me. <laughs> <laughs> so after the match, Jarrett and Raven went face-to-face. There's a lot of tension before Sting raised both their hands and they're on the same page. Yay. So Sting has signed a four-show deal with NWATNA prior to his first appearance. The company's plan for Sting is to spread his appearances out over the next few months and then fill in the weeks between with pre-recorded segments. The first of those segments will begin to air on the first week of July as portions of a 35-minute sit-down interview with Mike Denae conducted with Sting will be shown. They really, like, promoted the hell out of that interview, too. There's two separate, like, plugs for it on the, the last show of the month. Well, I think it's also just because they didn't want to start using footage. Yeah, and it was apparently actually that you're, you're right. It was meant to start airing on the June 25th show. They're like, no, we're going to spend a week hyping it. Yeah. So we will we have more Sting in the coming weeks, including that the, the Mike Tenet interview. It's literally it's like under the thing. I can't remember what the name of the segment is. Like st- behind the paint or something, whatever it's called. Sting behind the paint. The Mike Tenet interview. It, looks like, it sounds and looks like a 60-minute segment. Hmm. Should be. They should have done this on 60 minutes. Uh, so, last show of the month is main evented by Jeff Jarrett and Raven against Glengalberti and Shane Douglas. Shane Douglas starts the show by attacking the gathering backstage. I thought this segment was really good. Why? Because I'm really into the gathering at the moment. <laughs> oh, suddenly CM Punk is, is orbiting the gathering and Liam is, has his new favourite stable. It's because of Julio Gennaro and Alexis, actually. Because they're starting to get, like promo time they're not just silent goons hanging around raven they're getting like characters of like being his like offsiders who are trying to prove themselves to this guy and um douglas meets him backstage like beats the hell out of julio julio takes some big bumps on this one including a belly to belly onto a guardrail that i thought was really cool looking Mm. then uh douglas charges into the asylum goes up to raven's perch which i thought was a really cool thing too and cuts like well it's fitting that he went to raven's perch because he cut a rambly promo a lot like raven did (laughs) (laughs) that he got distracted with at times and the crowd like was into at the start and then wasn't i think because at the start they thought he was like a cool badass kind of babyface anti-hero character then halfway through they're like oh he's a heel so (laughs) which is very similar to some early raven stuff actually and then um Punk tried to get in there, got beat up by Douglas as well. Douglas, and then Gilbert, yeah, Punk and Raven, they, they start coming out, they start beating up Douglas, and then Gilberti comes out of nowhere and also is in this for some reason. Jarrett comes in, throws a chair, and runs him off. We need a tag team main event, that's why Gilberti's here. So, as you mentioned, CM Punk is orbiting the gathering, he's trying to get into the gathering. Earlier in the month, there's a promo where Julio and Mickey James are stressing out about Raven, because they think the gathering might be going away. Then Punk walks up and is like, hey guys, did you, did you ask Raven? Did, did he consider my application for the gathering? <laughs> I would join the gathering. You know, I've been trying to get in with you guys for weeks. Yeah. I, I, I love Punk as, like, just gathering fanboy. Yeah, he just loves the gathering, which is a, a, a contrast to his Ring of Honor presence with Raven. But to be fair, I think he liked Raven at the start, and then he's like, "Oh wait, Raven sucks," <laughs> which I think is kind of what happens here as well. Yeah, for pretty much is. So yeah, CM Punk wants to join the gathering. CM Punk talks for the first time on the on this month's shows. So, and um, he definitely like he has that that punk charisma that you always see with him, though, doesn't he? Uh, sure. I just mean like he's a compelling speaker, even if he's not cutting like big story promos 
Yeah, so Douglas's promo about why he's come to TNA, he talks about how he changed the business when he threw the NWA title in the trash in ECW. And now TNA, and specifically Raven for some reason, is trying to bring back the TNA title, or the NWA title and bring it back to prominence. And he's not going to allow that to happen. So he made a deal with the devil to get into TNA to stop it. I thought, and maybe this was the point, that he was talking about Russo. But the swerve, of course, is that it's James Mitchell. Like, I, I know what happens here, so it's tough for me to be like, oh, uh, who's he talking about? I'm like, of course he's talking about James Mitchell. Yeah, but for me, who doesn't know these things, through this segment, I was like, he's talking about Russo. So yeah, he made a deal with the devil, which led us to our tag team main event. Well, actually, no, the, the, the Douglas made the challenge in a backstage promo, and then Jeff Jarrett and Raven accepted the challenge, including the line, you better not stroke me from behind. <laughs> which, um, someone else had a good stroke line as well. A lot of good stroke lines. Uh, our main event, Jarrett and Raven defeated Gilberti and Shane Douglas by disqualification when the Sinister Minister James Mitchell himself returned and threw a fireball over Raven. He kind of missed, but... Yeah, but, you know, the heat expanded. <laughs> Which caused the DQ. Both Raven and Gilberti were injured in this match. Gilberti went into the match with, like, back spasms, so he wasn't great in this match. He has an excuse. Yeah, man, I've been there, bro. That shit, that shit sucks. And Raven hurt his ankle. So every time Raven was like on the floor being like, oh boy, my ankle hurts. He actually just hurt his ankle. Yeah, it looked like it too. It didn't look mm. like selling. So Raven spent some time in hospital after the show while poor Gilberti's back spasms were freaking out. But he made that ROH date. Yeah, so he still showed up for Ring of Honor. So that's your world title picture for the month, more or less. We do have a new NWA world champion. It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. We have the debut of the icon Sting. And the direction at the moment seems to be Jarrett and Raven on the same page while AJ is feuding with Dilo. I'm always a big fan of rivals coming together to fight a greater force. Yeah, it's a nice little bit. Like Jarrett and Raven, the two guys who hate each other and hate each other backstage as well. Yeah, it's a good thing that they cleared that up a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, because there's a note this month. Raven and Jeff Jarrett had a heart-to-heart talk when have buried the hatchet. Observers say Raven has taken a more relaxed approach to creative issues and is focusing more on his own character rather than the overall direction of the company. It's probably also, like, helps that Raven's starting to do this, like, big stuff in ROH at the same time. Get, like, you know, he has these two big companies with big creative angles going on, so he probably doesn't feel as compelled to be exclusively involved in the TNA stuff, you know? He has multiple outlets, so he can probably take things a little less seriously. Oh, Mr. He's getting his creative fulfillment from Ring of Honor, so he doesn't need to think about trying in TNA anymore. Yeah, so, like, you know, he's starting to work for a good company... So now that he can he can put the bad company on the on the back burner. Disgusting Ring of Honor bias right here in this TNA podcast. Mm. Why'd you DM Trevor Dame and get on through the years? Oh please, I'd love to. <laughs> Unfortunately I'm nowhere near where they are on the thing, so it just wouldn't work out. So heavyweight title picture done, Eric Watts stuff done. Let's go to the tag teams. Uh yes, because I'm it's the, what I'm dying to talk about. So this month, the defining and pretty much only tag team thing in the, uh, in the company was the the culmination, or well, they keep feuding for like another year, so not quite culmination, but the the current pinnacle of the Triple X in America's Most Wanted feud. The pinnacle of the company. In many ways, yes, it is the best match in the history of TNA. So let's go all the way back to June 4, 2003, in which Tracy and David Young defeat Ron Killings by himself in the semifinal of the Asylum Alliance tournament. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we have to talk. We have to talk about this segment. We have to talk about the Harris brothers. So the Harris brothers' Your favorite are topic in the sex locker room. <laughs> well, and they're like, 
of course we're not team. I, I can't even remember if it was Ron or Don who was Ron, or Killing's partner. Probably Don, just for the sake of not having two Rons. So the Harris Bros are like, of course we're not going to team with Ron Killings. We're not going to team with his kind. Mm. So if you were wondering, are they racist? The answer is yes. Allegedly. No, not even alleged. On the show, they're racist. That's the entire point of the angle. I can't believe they, like, they wanted to do this after the controversy of wearing an SS <laughs> fucking shirt on pay-per-view. Uh, like, it's the literal story they're telling, that they are too racist to team with wrong killings. Well, keep going, because there's more racism in this segment. And Elix Skipper is like, what do you mean by his kind? <laughs> they're like, oh, people who use race as an excuse. No, and they're like, oh, don't worry, mate. Oh, we don't mean people like you. You worked hard and achieved. Basically doing the whole, you're one of the good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like a funny like side bit here is like, as soon as I start explaining that, fucking Daniel's just like, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, man. Good thing sex is a legal trademark of Vince Russo and the stable's falling apart. And then they like fist bumped. So then Tracy and David Young defeat Ron Killings in the semi-final. Then later in the show, AMW defeat BG James and Conan in the semi-final of the Asylum Alliance tournament. So the finals, Liam, of the Asylum Alliance tournament are Tracy and David Young versus America's Most Wanted. Just exactly what you'd expect. And you know what? We mentioned this in the watch-along, Liam. But the whole point of the Asylum Alliance tournament was to bring people together and get rid of the, the issues. And while that didn't happen, it did get rid of nearly all of the stables involved. Yeah. So you know what? I guess the NWA were onto something. Yeah, it clearly worked, because none of these stables are a thing by the end of the month. So, well done. And honestly, I'm kind of ready for it. Where will we go? We'll, we'll stick to Killings and Conan for a moment. Killings and Conan defeated the Harris Bros, Liam. <laughs> yeah. And, like, on commentary, Don is like, you know what? We, we should get to, like, no more racial slurs, no more... And then he just pauses, and then Mike Tanae's like, no more what? It's like, just just no more racism, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That, that should be a quote back just for uh, you know how we do like occasion we'll just chuck one quote in the intro for one episode we should chuck no more racism Mike I'm not sure if that is like exact quote but if it is let's throw it in yeah this is a little one off he's clearly he, like he doesn't even know what to phrase he's so sick of having like to navigate the waters of this stupid racist angle that he's just like maybe we can stop doing this after this maybe we can stop you know using the Harris brothers so Killings and Conan defeat the Harris Bros with help from BG James, which forms, in earnest, three live crew. And then the rest of the month they do skits, Liam. Beware. Beware in many ways. So on the June 18th show, there's a skit where my, they're, they're, they're doing a version of the Mike Tanay interview where BG is playing Mike Tanay and he's interviewing Conan and Ron Killings and he's being like super racist. And I'm like, okay. Sorry, I, I, I couldn't tell you about this one. Liam walked out of the watch along <laughs> during the segment. It's I I, I, I want to be very clear. Mm-hmm. It's not a bit when I say BG James is my least favorite wrestler of all time. <laughs> I truly don't like anything he does on this show. If based on the precedent of this podcast, does that mean I now have to like BG James ironically, despite you? <laughs> well, you probably like him because he's racist. How dare you? <laughs> well, I'm just you know, there's a correlation here. But, like, this segment with BG is one of those things where, like, he's like, why do your people like fried chicken, Ron? And Ron's like, what the fuck? (laughs) And, like, the idea is they're doing a parody of racism in the company in which they just do the racism. Mm. 
by the guy who does the homophobia. <laughs> yeah. And he does, like... Ugh, God. God, it's so bad. It's, it's, it's... Like, there was racism in this month of shows. It's not like you've moved past it. You cannot then, like, do a commentary on racism. And, like, Mike Tanay is never racist. Why is, like... Why is the BG James Mike Tanay character racist? When, in defense of Mike Tanay, he's one of the lesser racist people on this show. <laughs> Maybe, like, this is meant to be, like, a continuation from the Conan stuff? Sure. Where he called Mike Tanay racist? And then Mike Tanay was like, hey, you leave me out of this. Mm, I don't know. Then last show of the month, they do an interrogator segment where, I guess, two people are technically playing Don West in this segment. Because Conan and Killings are playing the interviewer role, one of which is technically Don West. And then BG is actually playing Don West... Uh, uh, answering the questions as his fake Don West. I I, I didn't watch this. <laughs> you can't I, skip all of the Tree LK skits, Liam. Watch me. <laughs> you cannot be like, I'm just not doing Three LK. I'm just not doing. Th- you know what? I will acknowledge Three LK when they get the music. So yeah, we're, they're they're doing goofs. They're being funny on these shows, Liam. They're funny. Then they're not funny. They have jokes. Yeah. I I just I I can't man, <laughs> these guys that, and like you know I even I like Conan and I even I like Ron Killings. It's just BG, because like I don't know I feel like if it was just you know Conan and Killings doing this they would maybe have a point <laughs> to any of it. And probably maybe even a slight bit funny. But also like it's it's the worst guy, <laughs> it's the worst guy doing it. It's the guy that is the most disingenuous about it too because you don't believe the word that he's saying. Because you think it's just actually him. The first time they did this segment, I didn't realize that it was supposed to be irony. I just assumed <laughs> it was BG James like saying these things. Just being racist. Yeah, because it, wh- what precedent has there been set to make the, 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 to suggest that this would have been irony? None. Because everything else he's done on the show has been problematic. Because it's either him being racist or him being homophobic. So why would I assume that now it's a fucking irony thing to prove a point? There's no, there's, it makes no sense. So, yes, when this first started, I was just like, I, you, you did me in the watch along. I said, oh man, the old Ron Killings and Conan of like three months ago would beat the shit out of him for this. Because I thought it was genuine. Because I thought it was the character. Because that's all he's ever done on this show. Yeah, you were very calm, cool, and collected for 12 episodes of this podcast. And now AJ Styles and Tree LK have broken you. <laughs> I just, uh, I don't, don't even give 3LK the credit. <laughs> It's one guy. This is just BG. And he's like around for like two more years. Oh, more than that, buddy. Uh, BG doesn't leave until the start of 2009. Oh, just wait till we get to the fucking Alamo. Alright, so now we're done with 3LK, we can talk about the good tag team stuff this month. So, AMW defeated Tracy and David Young in the finals of the Asylum Alliance tournament. We should talk about, well, probably should have mentioned it when we mentioned the semifinal. Before the... AMW against Conan and... Was it BG match? Yeah, Conan and BG. Chris Harris had to make his decision, Liam. Ah, yes. It's the most telegraphed shit you could have ever expected, ever. <laughs> but I'm fine with that. He's like, I'm going to team. I'm gonna choose between Saban and Storm. I don't think it was necessarily good either, though. <laughs> I don't think it was delivered well. I think it thought it was a little rambly. I thought he spent too much time on the build to it. I think you could have got this all done in, like, half the amount of time, a lot tidier, and probably would have got a bigger reaction. I, don't know, I thought it was fine. I thought it dragged. But it got us to where we needed to get to. 
Yeah, so because he teamed with Saban in the first round, he was like, I have to choose between whether I'm going to continue teaming with Saban or team with my regular tag team partner. And he was like, AMW, we were the best team. We were great, so we're going to keep being the best team. And he decided to team with Storm. Little sidebar, I like that Triple uh, X were like, I mean, they were pretty good. Because, like, <laughs> like, you know, they didn't want to insult him because they still are hoping that he's joining up with them. Mm. But they were taking offense at the idea that AMW was like the Trailblazer tag team of NWA TNA. Yeah, so then AMW beat BG and Conan, then AMW beat David Young and Tracy despite interference at ringside from Triple X who were on commentary. Mm. So AMW won the Asylum Alliance tournament, which I feel thankfully no longer have to say Asylum Alliance, because I will nearly say Armed Asylum every single time. I'm glad that uh, AMW are on the same page again, because I, I didn't really care for this will-they-won't-they breakup storyline. Yeah, because it was a dumb idea to even think about breaking them up, and then they started the build toward breaking them up, and then decided not to, thankfully, and then brought them back together. I would have rather had just three months of great AMW matches, personally. <laughs> but mm. So, AMW are number one contenders for the World Tag Team titles because they defeated David Young and Tracy. So, anniversary show, June 18th, we get Triple X versus AMW with Loki at ringside. Which is was explicitly done to set up next week. And to be fair, they mentioned that this is the reason this story works. So they have this match. It's a really good match. It's, it's like they, they get like eight minutes. So it's not like the best match of all time. But it's like it's a, just a really good high energy AMW against Triple X sprint. Loki eventually uh, his outside interference causes Triple X to retain. And like that's been the story. Yeah. Literally every time they've interacted, there's been interference. So every time, they, they lay it out at the start of uh, the June 25th show in which they have their, their big steel cage blow-off because Chris Harris comes out and it's like, every single time we've been in the ring with Triple X, there's been outside interference. Triple X are 4-0 against AMW and every single time they beat them by outside interference. So when we go to that June 25th show and we're, we're doing the build-up to the match, you get Mike Tanay and Don West, they run it down. They're like, this date, outside interference. This date, outside interference. This date, outside interference. This date, outside interference. Say it with me again. Outside, outside interference. Interference. <laughs> interference. It's such a good bit. So, it makes perfect sense that finally, after four times, the Triple X retain the belts or win the belts from AMW via outside interference, they are going to settle it inside a steel cage. It's one of those things. It's like, this company isn't usually this good at this. It's like, no. it's a simple story with a, with a cohesive through line where the heels win by outside interference every time, and then you do a cage match where outside interference is nullified, and then the baby faces win. Can I run down the match? Sure, go for it. I would say that this is the first match of the year candidate level match in TNA. This is the best match in TNA history. So, we start out with AMW, they outwork Triple X early on, but Triple X begins to take advantage because they can better utilize the environment of the cage and the lack of the rule set. You see they're going for low blows, Skipper is flying all over the place. AMW eventually takes control by using their power and just their kind of their brawling attitude and beating the hell out of Triple X. Everyone has um, color now except Skipper. Uh, Wildcat hits a spear from the top ropes to Daniels, who was hanging from the cage while standing on the top ropes. That ruled so much. Also, by the way, note on Skipper. I'm pretty sure he's the only one that doesn't bleed in the the more famous cage match between these two teams. So maybe, maybe Skipper's just the guy who's like, I don't do blood. Skipper, he's been nuts in the match, flying around, climbs to the top of the cage for this killer crossbody onto Storm. Big kick out, big reaction. There has never been 
a smoother crossbody off the top of a cage. And this is a big cage too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a proper 15-foot cage. And usually, like, crossbodies off the cage, there's, like, a little clumsiness to them. People don't catch it right. It doesn't look quite right. He lands perfectly. And, like, they show a, a slate of replays when he lands. And then they go back to the action. And Don West is like, can we get one more replay, please? <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. I just want one more replay. And it's a really good follow-up here because, like, Skipper goes back up to the top of the cage but gets pushed off by Harris. This is really interesting because now AMW has the numbers advantage for the first time in the feud because Skipper is stuck to the outside and it's two on one. They've reversed the whole thing that Triple X has had on them the entire time. They pay off the story! <laughs> yeah. Uh, super kick into, like, a weird splash death sentence that kind of felt off. I kind of love that, though. I'm not sure it was a delivered. I'm nearly certain it wasn't. I think it was a botch, but we, it's fine. For two reasons, I kind of like that spot. Because one, it's deep into like an 18-minute cage match where everybody's bleeding. Yeah. So it makes sense that he doesn't do the best death sentence in the world. But also, it's the one that the, it's for the near fall. I think it was meant to be a regular death sentence that they kicked out of. Yeah, but I think it works better that he like just did a splash. Instead yeah. of like the leg drop, because you want you protect your finish and you sell the idea that these guys are absolutely battered. Skipper tries to get back in again. He's like climbing all over the cage on the outside, but Wildcat cu- cuts him off again. Then there's the biggest spot of the match, the thing that you've seen a thousand times. I think it's uh, arguably as impressive as the cage walk, um, Rana, because my, my man. <laughs> Chris Harris jumps from the top of the fucking cage. This is a giant cage. Death sentence lands right on his ass. That's insane. I like. I don't know how every bone in his like coccyx didn't just explode into dust. Yeah. Um. Like I like I said at the when I saw that I was like this match would have been four and a quarter for me, but I'm bumping that that fucking that last spot that go that bumps up to four and a half for me. That match was insane. That last spot is insane. What a fucking match. This dude cannot, like, explode his back and ass and every single bone in his body to do a death sentence off the top of the steel cage and get four and a quarter from you. It just can't happen. No, I I had to bump that up to, like, that was... It's one of the best spots I've ever seen. Mm. So there's some other points about the match that we can talk about. Why was there even, like, tags? Like, there was no point to that at all. It got abandoned towards the end. I don't even know why we, like, had the aura of we're going to make this a regular-style tag match in the cage. It's Like, TNA do that. Like, this isn't the first cage match you're going to see that has tags in, in and tags out. And you're right, it doesn't make a great deal of sense. It's like, what's the punishment if they don't tag it in and out? But, uh, like, uh, also, I, I, it does give the match a little bit of structure, so I kind of understand why they go for it. But then, like, they always throw it out the window at the end anyway, so... Yeah. Oh, the crowd, by the way. Okay, uh, trust me, I'll get to the... I got the crowd on here, too. So, yeah, the crowd, super hot for this, but starts out so smarky. They're, like, chanting, dude, they're doing the Kill the Cowboy chants for the first time in ages as well. They did them toward, like, the start of the year and stopped doing them because AMW started kicking ass. And, like, yeah. of all the matches to bring them back, you stupid Mark crowd who think you're mm. smart fans because you're the heel section and you have your heel section t-shirts like a bunch of fucking goobers. Shut the fuck up with these two teams, the two best teams in the company, the two, like, most consistently good things in the year 2003 are... Triple X and America's Most Wanted and this is the moment you decide to bring back your stupid shitty Kill the Cowboy chants go fuck yourselves yeah uh, heel section at its worst here we had Kill the Cowboy chants we had Pussycat chants for Wildcat and arguably the most egregious to me of this whole thing there was a that was three chant for an obvious two (laughs) 
was like, I, I wrote here, that was three, parentheses, it wasn't, close parentheses. <laughs> I was like, it was not three. Women going nuts for Storm in this. Naturally. And I, I gotta say, like, with this show and the last show too, this is why you saw what people saw in Chris Harris. Mm-hmm. These matches, like this one and the tag match before, you saw why everyone thought this guy was a can't mister. Sure was. It's his fire, he has the height, he has the look, he's got dynamic offense that stands out, everything he does is super crisp. And like, I think that also goes into why people turned on Storm, or at least the crowd turned on Storm. Because in comparison, you know, he doesn't look as impressive, he's a little bland, he's a little awkward in the ring, he does um a lot more... He does a lot of crazy dives, which helps him stands out. And he hasn't, but he hasn't quite like found his charisma or his comedic timing yet. So he, obviously he gets there. We know he gets there, but you can tell, you can understand why the crowd would be like sort of going against Storm here, uh, rejecting him as opposed to Chris Harris, who is a lot more of like a standout guy at this point. And Chris Harris absolutely would have been a guy who would have been like a big star in like territories. If he had have left and got, like, snatched up at this point, he probably would have had a hell of a career for him. Mm, if there wasn't an ECW to go to and ruin his career. But, mm. like, it's it's not even the look. It's the fire. It's the fire that really, like, oh, the, the, that guy's a star. And it's, it's the fire that makes AMW, like, legitimately an all-time great tag team. Because, like, when they're doing their babyface comebacks or when they're selling, there's there's, they're just, there's an emotion to them. Whether it, it, it's, like, that suffering and the selling point or just the pure, like energetic fire when they're doing their comebacks it's like oh they're such a good team imagine amw in this tag landscape now all right just put them in and they can teach ftr how to be a good throwback tag team without being assholes about it and they can have cool matches <laughs> with the young bucks and the lucha bros ah yeah but what a match this is gonna be like i think the second match where we're like if you haven't seen this go watch it mm. there's the duck cup and there's the and, like, I, I get, like, maybe if, yeah, well, if you're, like, um, parachuting in for this, maybe you won't get it as much, but hopefully from listening to this, and even if you've been watching along, I think you'll really appreciate this match, especially with that big wrapping up of the story, not wrapping up, but, uh, you know, full circle storyline aspect here of, you know, it's always been Triple X outnumbering AMW, and for them finally to do the same thing, Triple X gets the taste of their own medicine, gets shut up, AMW win, uh, bleed buckets, and you always love it when they're bleeding buckets. Red equals green, baby. Whatever version of you ma- of this match you watch, make sure it's with, like, the, the tail of the tape and all that. Because they are, they do a great job outlining the story. So even if you are parachuting in, you'll get a video package that tells the story. And then you'll get Mike Tanay and Don West literally beat by beat telling you why this match is this way and why it matters. And, like, why can't this company just be this? Like, why do they have to be the work shoots? Why do they have to be the swerves? Why can't they just be two great teams just having great matches with a great story that makes sense. Yeah, but uh, when is wrestling ever drawn? Oh, yeah, God forbid. But yeah, uh, what an opening to this show. And then everything from here? Yeah, that's the, the, everything else in that show. We talked about most of it already. But but like, it, it, it literally, it goes like, really like, fantastic opener, really good follow-up. And everything gets a little worse and a little worse and a little worse and a little worse. Oh, we didn't even finish off talking about Styles and D-Lo. I guess it makes sense to talk about That's why I was saying the next thing is actually, I think, really cool too. We get an impromptu D-Lo Styles cage match. Yeah, it's a cool segment where D-Lo's so mad at AJ that he runs out and he's like, I don't care, you don't bother taking down this cage. AJ, get your ass out here, I want to fight you in this cage. Uh, You see 
uh, Harris brother <laughs> trying to get the cage sorted. <laughs> Very funny to just see him outside of the whole like sex gimmick. <laughs> just a guy on ring crew. Oh, speaking of seeing things in the background, we didn't even mention. Oh yeah, well that was during the 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 Eric Watts segment, right? <laughs> While Eric Watts was trying to kick the lock off the the abyss cage, <laughs> he, he kicks the door. <laughs> he accidentally knocks the sex locker room door open, and you just see Perry Saturn in his underwear. <laughs> you see, you see Perry Saturn's ass. You do. You see Perry Saturn's bare bottom right here on this pay per view. We, we gotta upload the live reaction because I just start screaming Perry Saturn ass Perry Saturn ass Perry Saturn ass <laughs> yeah head to tnachad.com if you want to listen to that full watch along of end of TNA pay-per-view that was 18 I believe or June 18th it was the fifth uh, pay-per-view number 50 that that moment was on Whew. wonderful stuff absolutely tremendous but yeah AJ and D'Lo have a, a nice little cage match they beat the shit out of other they're in street clothes as well which is always a fun touch they're so smooth together. AJ takes some, like, giant bumps in this. Oh, yeah, there's one where he's dangling off the side of the cage on the outside and Delo's on the inside. And Delo hits it from the inside. And AJ, like, pushes himself out a few feet and then falls on his face. It looks amazing. Yeah. And then uh, immediately Delo runs out there and hits him with a belly-to-belly. Like, a straight-over-the-top one. Like, as good as a Steiner could ever throw. That shit was awesome. And just a big, a big dirty fucking on the mat. It's what you want. I thought that whole segment was really cool. I thought this is such a cool, unique way of utilizing the cage. Mm. Like, you have it there, you have it set up, why not? And, yeah, Russo eventually comes out when D'Lo's at the top of the cage and about to hit a lowdown off the cage, but Russo ruins it. Raven comes out to stop him and then double Wait, no, you're skipping over the bump where they almost died. Which one was the one where they almost died? So, Russo comes in, AJ piffs, I think it's a chair at D'Lo's head and knocks him down. D'Lo's still on the top rope. AJ climbs up behind him to do a belly-to-back suplex off the top. But right at this time, Russo is holding the chair and kind of opening it. And as that happens, they all collide down into the chair that's being opened. Yeah, they're doing... Like, Brian Danielson does the same top rope backdrop. So if you've seen that, that's the move they're doing. Well, if you watch the Hangman Page match, you know the one that we're talking about. But he does that from the top, and you're right. He basically lands on Russo with a chair. It's not good. Yeah, it looks like they die. So yeah, Raven comes out, tries to stop him. Shane Douglas comes out, cuts him off. That sets up the Shane Douglas main event, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, X Division, Liam. Um, There was one really great thing in the X Division this month. Yeah, so the month starts with Chris Saban being informed that Paul London will not be his X Division title challenger on the first show of the month on the June 4th pay-per-view. So Saban gets to choose his opponent. He's like, oh, who am I going to choose? Uh, Scott Hudson th- is there with him. He's like, you could choose Juventud Guerrero. And he's like... Oh, sorry, this is a June 11th show, not June 4th. He's like... Yeah, I was going to say, he was still doing, finding out which uh, side is he... Who, which side is he on? Yeah, Chris Saban was rejected by Chris Harrison. Honestly, surprisingly okay with it. I mean, he got beat up. He did He did try to, like, punch him. That's true. But he's just... I'm just going to move on. I'm just going to go back to my X Division stuff. Well, he's the champ, you know? So, yeah, uh, uh, Scott Hudson is like, oh, you could you could pick Hooven Guerrero. It's like, oh, you know, I could pick Hooven Guerrero, but you, uh, maybe someone else. And Scott Hudson is like, oh, it's a Sean Wallman six-pack. It's like, oh, you know, that's a good option. He's like, you know, I'm going to choose Shark Boy. Then Chris Haven gets up in the camera. He's like, da-da, 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 Saban, like, this is what I mean. He has he matches that same chaotic energy that uh, an Eric Watts has, which is why, like, I think... um. Like, this is an early reminder here, is, like, that kind of weirdo charisma is, like, perfect for the era that him and Shelly, like, blow up in, you know? Hmm. So, Saban defeats Sharkboy to retain the title. We'll talk about Sharkboy and New Jack in a second, but we'll talk about that at 10. So, we'll, we'll, we'll park that for a moment, which is, honestly, some of the better stuff of the month. <laughs> so, Decent little Sharkboy match. Yeah, Saban retains the belt. Sharkboy, good wrestler. 
Yeah. So the following week, Paul London finally gets his X Division title shot. He faces Chris Sabin in a really good little TV title match. I love this match. I thought this was... They went all out. They worked at a pace, which is something you rarely see. <laughs> they they just they went balls to the wall, spot first. London was throwing kicks, throwing drop salts multiple times. These two went crazy with each other. Saban was doing all these like power junior stuff to London. London went out there and he killed it on like his last match. Um, during the match, you had Punk come out and imitate Raven, which was like he's like, "Hey, look, Raven, I'm like you, but in the X division," and uh. Led to London's loss when he dropped London with the Raven effect. Saban picks up the scraps for the win. I, I re- like this is a match I really loved. Um, I, I was thinking it was a bit higher on it than you were, but um, yeah, I went three and three quarters. I really enjoyed it. This is like one of my favorite exhibition matches we've had so far. Tidy, short. They worked at a pace. They killed it. Yeah, it's very much the case that they're like, you guys have six minutes, so go make a count. It was like condense your Ring of Honor twenty minute match into six minutes. Mm. And they went out there and worked at that pace. They just went out there and kicked ass. And even like this, as you mentioned, this is Paul London's last match. He has a couple more Ring of Honor matches after this before he goes to the WWE, very unfortunately. Hey, I think he wrestles Styles and Joe. <laughs> yeah, so he even got to hit the London call in this match before CM Punk interfered. So he got to hit his finish on his last match. I truly wish we lived in the reality in which he stayed. Mm. Imagine if like the next generation of exhibition stuff was Saban, Bentley, Kaz... And London. And Punk. And, well, well, no, well, the Punk stuff doesn't happen, so... Well, Punk becomes a ta- goes into the tag division with Hulu Janeiro, so... Yeah. But other things in the X Division this month. The, the month began with a six-man tag. Punk, Matt Stryker, and the debuting Frankie Kazarian against Kid Romeo, uh, Johnny Swinger, and I didn't write down Dothard's first name. Damien Dothard? Who cares? Yeah, he's there too. But uh, that is Frankie Kazarian's TNA debut. Frankie Kazarian, of course, a very notable member of TNA history. Yeah, uh, you know, Ring of Honor original. Got the <laughs> Ring of Honor got him, <laughs> I think, a month before TNA, so I can now refer to him as a Ring of Honor guy the whole time. Yeah, Damien Dothard. He was Damien Steele in Deep South in WWE. He was Jesse of Jesse and Festus's partner. Ah. And also sadly passed away in 2009 with a brain aneurysm, so... Sad. Very unfortunate. I still, I find it fascinating because Punk in this match is doing X Division style stuff and it's just not who he is as a wrestler and it's very, very like weird and fascinating. Yeah, uh, that match was very clearly like, they wanted to set up as like uh, Saban's rival immediately because they brought up the name. They really wanted to emphasize that. Thought it was good. I liked Kaz in this. Because yeah, both Kazarian and Saban go by the nickname The Future. So they were very much being like, oh, it's the two people who go by the name The Future. Hmm. Hmm, maybe they should wrestle. So Kazarian also had the match we mentioned where he teamed with D'Lo and Sandman. The actual story of that match, they actually they didn't tell it until the following week, <laughs> but they, they said that D'Lo and Sandman chose Frankie Kazarian as their partner to face Don Harris, David Young, and Sonny Siaki, so it's another little thing being like, oh, two people as experienced as D'Lo and Sandman picked Kazarian to be their partner. Yeah. I, I was surprised that they didn't bring Stryker back because I thought he did really well in this match and the crowd seemed into him, so. Not that Matt Stryker, by the way. No, the... The, the 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 pure wrestling Ring of Honor Matt Striker, which I feel like that's the name of the pure wrestling Ring of Honor Matt Striker. It's like Matt Striker, not that Matt Striker. Yes, it's honestly the Matt Striker I think of first now. Not the current Impact announcer. No, because he's been like off like WWE TV for so long and doesn't do New Japan anymore. So, it, like up until like the Lucha Underground days, I was still like that, that Matt Striker. But now, like since I'm watching Ring of Honor and stuff at the same time, I'm, I think I'm Unibrow Matt Striker is my Matt Striker now. <laughs> 
So that brings us to NWTNA paper number 51, June 25th, in which Frankie Kazarian faces the reigning and defending X Division champion, Chris Sabin, in a non-title match. Oh, someone get to JB! Every single time he says reigning and defending. He said it for a tag match! And every single time, Mike Tanay has to go, it's not defending, it's a non-title match. Tanay doesn't do it anymore! No, he did it here! He didn't do it in the tag! He absolutely did it here. Oh, we were probably talking about it. I didn't hear him do it here. But he didn't do it in the tag. Someone yell at him. Someone yell at J- JB. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, today is like, this is a non-titled match. It's like, it's like the seventh time he's had to do this. Can you speak to him backstage in the meeting, please? <laughs> Mike? But like, JB's in his ear. Like, everything they say to each other, they hear, because that's the way they time the announcing and stuff. So it's like, he can hear him I wonder say, if it's a rib. I wonder if he's doing it on purpose to annoy today now. And to annoy me. Mostly you. Yeah. So in this reigning and defending non-title match, Kazarian defeats Chris Saban. It's, it's, it's very funny, actually. On the commentary, they're like, it's non-title. It's definitely non-title. And Don West is like, it wouldn't even be fair if it was a title match, because Kazarian has just come into the division. Yeah, that was the story that they were going with, which I thought was actually, like, he had to earn the title shot by beating Saban. So Frankie Kazarian defeated Chris Saban with a flux capacitor in a weird match. I thought it was a little disappointing. I thought it suffered from, like, coming after the Triple X AMW match, which was, like, the big barn burner, like, blood everywhere match of the year candidate. So I think the crowd were a little slow to get into it. And also, they're, they're just not that familiar with both Saban and Kazarian at this stage, honestly. Yeah, and and also, like, it, it followed the blood to the match of the week before, which was way better, so... I thought that the crowd really got into the back half. Basically, everything after Chris Saban did the run-up to ropes German, I thought was pretty good. Yeah, a little dull for me, but uh, I'm sure they'll have a better match at some point. But yeah, Chris Saban did the cool run-up-the-ropes overhead German, where Frankie Kazarian did the flip, it was really cool. But yeah, Kaz hit the Wave of the Future, went up top, hit the Flux Capacitor, which Mike Tanay correctly called as a one-man Spanish fly. And that one, he always looks so much more, like, janky and dangerous when Kaz does it. Because <laughs> he, he doesn't, he does it differently. He doesn't just do a straight moonsault. He does the thing where he, like, does a little up and he over. He goes to the side. Yeah. It's it, very, like, scary. It, it's not the same move exactly. It's, it's, it's not like he can't do it. It is a choice. It is a slightly different variation of the move. Yeah. But yeah, everyone calls the Spanish fly, the top row Spanish fly, like, that everybody does now, the Spanish fly. It's not. It's a one-man Spanish fly. Mm. Spanish fly is a two-person move. So yes, Kazarian defeated Saban, presumably to make himself a contender for the X Division Championship sometime in the future. Yeah, I'm sure, and like, like I said, I'm sure they'll they'll one up the match. So let's move over to the Hard Ten, Liam. Your favorite tournament? I mean, it wasn't the best month for the Hard Ten. The the month in which you turned on the Hard Ten tournament. Yeah. Uh, whenever we do this show, I have to keep scrolling back from the first t- show, then go to the last one, then go to the first one, and I always miss it. <laughs> you always have to work out what's where and what's on what show and what happened. And, and try to keep it somewhat together in your head. You're like, when was Siaki against Vampire Warrior? When was Sandman against Devon Storm? I've watched too many Vampire Warrior matches lately. Yeah, we got a Siaki Vampire Warrior. It was kind of, it was quick, which I appreciated. They did some things. Vampire Warrior actually did some, like, cool suplexes in it. But Siaki just fucking killed him. Like, this is kind of, this is the squashiest of them so far. Siaki basically puts Vampire Warrior through two tables. (laughs) Yeah, Siaki flips through a table too, which is quite cool. It looked fucking awesome, and that's why I gave it whatever rating I gave it. It was purely just for that. (laughs) And Vampire Warrior's theme song sounded like a knockoff theme song of like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer copy. Very good. How dare you? 
insinuate that Dale Oliver would rip off a famous song, Garrett? I wasn't suggesting that, Liam. Who are you, Andrew Rich? (laughs) How dare you repeat a watch-along bit on me in reverse. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Yeah, I think this is Vampire Warrior's last DNA appearance too, so... Hmm, but not the last you'll see of him, Garrett. Isn't it? When will I see more Vampire War? WWA nod. Oh, no. But nonetheless, Siaki advances in this first round match? I guess they're all first round matches, technically quarterfinals. I thought this was the semi... No, the semi team and Sandman. This is the surprise opponent. Which brings us to NWA TNA Fabian number 49, June 11th, in which Sandman defeated the, the returning Devin Storm in a hard 10 match. Yeah, um, this one was fine. I don't remember anything about it. Uh, Devin Storm is a madman. I remember Devin Storm's pre-match promo where he's like, I've worked out the scientific method to defeat Sandman in the Hard 10 tournament. Yeah, not the last you'll see of Devin Storm, wink. <laughs> I'm not sure, I don't remember. Oh, Devin Storm definitely does. I don't remember whatever else Devin Storm does in TNA history. He's also in the WWE. <laughs> I know, I know you mean WWE. I was just referring to TNA. Every it's the same show. <laughs> so then we have our two semi-finals in the Hard Ten tournament. Liam NWA TNA pay-per-view number fifty. New Jack faces Mike Sanders in a Hard Ten tournament match. Well, yeah, okay. So there's a lot going on here. Do we want to talk about the real story here? Let's talk about Sharkboy New Jack. Let's go back a week to, to June eleventh before yeah. Sharkboy faced uh, faced Chris Sabin. They were just backstage playing a little twister. New Jack and Sharkboy. Having a good time. There was a bit where uh, Sharkboy had to move so that he put his butt in New Jack's face, and New Jack wasn't pleased. He's like, get your stinky ass out of my face. <laughs> Every single New Jack line delivery is absolutely incredible. This pairing has been tremendous. It's just comedy gold. So before the Mike Sanders-New Jack hard 10 match, New Jack's cutting this big promo backstage. He's like, oh, I'm going to beat the shit out of you, Mike Sanders. You don't know what pain is. And then Sharkboy just wanders up and he's like, I want nothing to do with you anymore, Sharkboy. Go away. And then Sharkboy's like, Hulk hands? Well, he motions the Hulk hands. <laughs> yeah, he, like New Jack is all wound up and he's like, I hate you, Sharkboy. I'm sick of this team. We're done. And then Sharkboy's just like, he has two Hulk hands on his arms and he just raises them. And New Jack's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Was this the one where he gave the line about the white woman? <laughs> No, that's the next one. Oh, we got to talk about that one. Make sure we don't we don't skip that one. Oh, actually, no, no, it actually might be this one because he's like, I played all the games with you. I played Twister. I played that one with a white woman. <laughs> Who was Goldilocks? Who was interviewing him during the segment? Yep, she was just standing there. She wasn't even like me. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, she like she she scrunched her nose up because she's like me. <laughs> I'm that I'm that person. And uh, New Jack closes this promo incredibly as well because he, he's he's done with the nonsense, and then he just turns back to the camera. He's like, "Mike Sanders, I don't know holds, I don't know wrestling moves, I just know whooping your ass." Yeah, I love how he just pivots from the Shark Boy commentary to just being like New Jack. It's the best. It's the best. So New Jack has the match with Mike Sanders. They're doing their regular hard ten match, hitting each other with weapons. He's about to put Mike Sanders through a table to win the match when Sharkboy gets up on the apron. He's like, Hulk hands. <laughs> oh, Sharkboy's in the crowd the whole time. The crowd is into it. Yeah, crowd going nuts for Sharkboy. So New Jack gives Sharkboy a look. He takes a Hulk hand off him. He then poses with the Hulk hand, does some muscle poses, and then hits Sanders with a punch on the apron which sends Sanders through the table. And um, New Jack advances to the Hard 10 final. Sanders sells it like a champ. <laughs> you gotta say. Uh, so, last show of the month. 
June 25th, Shark Boy's backstage in his shark tank. <laughs> New Jack should walk in and be like, Shark, this is my, my business offer for you. <laughs> what is described as a shark tank is, in fact, a children's swimming pool. Yes. A paddling pool. An inflatable paddling pool. Yep. See, the thing about it, like, New Jack is like, I- I'm, you want me to play this game about, and it's about like, uh, it's one of those little, like, tossing the ring games onto an octopus. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you want me to play this game? And he's like, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then, like, completely unexpected to me, I did not expect this at all, he gets in the pool in full gimmick. <laughs> yep. Should start throwing it. He just slumps. He just, like, collapses into the pool next to Shark Boy. I was like, oh, I, I didn't expect this at all. And then they start throwing the rings. It's it's great. These two are so good together. I, I would have loved, like, before his passing to get, like, uh, just to, to hear New Jack's thoughts on this, you know? Mm, to, to, to just go through this fun time with Shark Boy. Yeah. And, like, you know, New Jack is known as, like, the big violent guy. He's always been the guy who jumps off balconies and the guy who's the, the wild, crazy, violent guy. But he's never done, like, just goofy comedy. No. So it's fun to get this other side of New Jack. Yeah. So, last show of the month, Sandman defeats Sonny Siaki in the final hard 10 semi-final to advance to face New Jack. Yep. After the match, New Jack comes out, they share the beer, everyone's happy. They're, Everyone's having a great time. They're like two legends. One person who's not having a great time, Liam, is Shark Boy. To be fair, I think he had a great time for most of it. <laughs> so, Glengilbert, he has, for reasons, made Shark Boy public enemy number one. He wants the Shark Boy mask. But because sex are nerds and they need any win they can get. <laughs> so they're bullying. So they want to get the Shark Boy mask from Shark Boy. So while New Jack is in the ring with Sandman, they have a little beer, Sanders attacks Shark Boy in the shark tank. I hope Mike Sanders' last TNA match is with Shark Boy. You'll be pleased to know it is. <laughs> yes, it's perfect. So that is the hard ten stuff for the month. Our hard ten final will be Sandman and New Jack, but that will not happen until July. Oh, I, I will be waiting with bated breath. But yeah, San- Shark Boy, New Jack, tremendous comic pairing. Yeah, did great timing all around. Great stuff, and like, which is like also good credit to New Jack too because he's doing this with a silent partner. <laughs> yeah. It's all slapstick. Yeah. Oh, it's all bloody fish stick. Oh, very good. That's wordplay. Thank you. And the last big thing of the month we haven't talked about yet, the last, like, recurring story is Jerry Lynn versus Just Incredible. Uh, Yeah, because it's bloody Just Unforgettable. It's not even their fault. All their matches are two minutes long. (laughs) Yeah. Like, they're trying to have this bitter, heated blood feud... But they have three minutes every time. They really kind of get screwed over here. Hmm. So the first show of the month, they do a interrogator segment with Mike Tanay and Don West. I actually like this. Because they were just like taking like childish jabs at each other. Yeah, they were being very snippy, very like uh, passive aggressive toward one another. Yeah. And then it kind of, it boils over and Credible's like, rah, 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 and then Jerry just beats the shit out of him. In the latest instance of me mixing up shows, that was actually in the second show of the month. <laughs> God damn it, June 11th. <sighs> this guy. Nothing happened on the first show with them anyway. Because mm, they broke up on the, the last show of last month. Yeah. Even though they only just began to team. Mm-hmm. So then, anniversary show, Just Incredible faces Jerry Lynn. They have like a wild brawl after the match. They're they're fighting with each other. <sighs> this is the one where they were outside the ring, or is this the match match? This was the match match. This was where they had their three-minute match. They had a wild pull apart, multiple times pulled apart. I, I didn't like it. 
Uh, well, it was, again, it was three minutes. They had literally no time. Yeah, but like, you know, other people have had three minutes and have had matches I've enjoyed. But again, they're not just trying to have spot fight fests. They're trying to have like these hate I know, but like, I don't brawls. even think it was good in like just them fighting each other. I just didn't like it. So yeah, they had multiple full parts. Then you had Kenzo Suzuki making his TNA debut. Alright, let's talk about a good fucking match, eh? Part of the Wrestle Japan company who was... Well, did you want to talk about the last match they had first? No, because th- th- this plays into them because they run out for the finish. Oh yeah, I, don't re- I didn't remember that. Sorry, go ahead. Logical sequence of events. Yes. So, um, yeah, Suzuki is on a US tour. He's doing an NWA date, an MLW date, an IPW date as well. So, a fun note for this. It ended in a DQ because the reason we're mentioning it here is because Jerry Lynn and Justin Credible ran out to cause the disqualification because they couldn't stop rolling. So... Originally, Perry Saturn was booked to win clean, since he works here regularly and Suzuki will never be back. Fun fact, Saturn was never back either after this anyway. Anyway, knowing this, Dave Meltzer did a preview of the show that morning and said that Masao Hattori, a Wrestle Japan official who was touring with Suzuki, was going to come in and demand the finish would be changed. Anyone who understands the first thing about Japanese politics knows Suzuki is being groomed to be a top star in Wrestle Japan and Saturn works for New Japan, the rival groups, so it was never going to happen that Saturn was going to be able to beat Suzuki clean eventually Hattori did come in demand a finish change that's the reason it was a no contest DQ whatever it was because then Incredible ran out mm-hmm. not the first time this has happened by the way if you remember same thing happened with Ken Shamrock against Takawa Mori where they're like Amori's not losing DQ it's maybe a thing they should talk about in advance next time mm. but I, I really liked Suzuki here he looked great I mean what a what a fucking presentation for Kenzo Suzuki, it's we we're talking about um, Chris Harris before, and how you can see a guy and, and just you understand why people wanted them to work. And it's like this with Kenzo Suzuki here is like you look at you take one look at Kenzo Suzuki on this show, and you understand why multiple Japanese companies desperately wanted Kenzo Suzuki to work out and be a big star. Not just Japanese companies, WWE did too. But I don't know sure they wanted him to be a big star. Well, there's a reason they signed them, you know. Yes. Yeah, but like, oh, because they sign everyone with the intention of them being big stars. Mm. But they're still like, this guy looks like a million bucks. Let's let's hire him. Yeah, this is, but like, he looked awesome here, and like, definitely, you you under you get it, you know, you you understand why New Japan was like, this is the guy. Let's put him with Tanahashi as the work rate guy, and then you understand why Wrestle Japan like, this is the guy that's gonna lead us up, and it's like, you get it when you look at him, but uh, unfortunately, never quite made it to that level because he was never very good. No. He was good in this match, though. And then, final show of the month, Jerry Lynn and Justin Credible have a lights out match. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the first two minutes of this match. When they were brawling outside? Yes. I thought it was unique. I thought it was an interesting place to do it. But the minute they walked back to the asylum, every bit of excitement I had left my body. Because I am so fucking sick of people brawling in the asylum. I'm done with it. We have done it. They do it 17 times a show. I'm sick of it. It means nothing to me anymore. When they were outside doing it in the fucking grass, I was like, thank God, it's a change of goddamn scenery. And then they went straight back in there. And I'm like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do Asylum Brawls anymore. They're never going to land with me anymore unless they do some crazy, crazy shit because I am so sick of seeing it. I assume that's the reason you love the Jarrett and Raven against Gilberti and (laughs) Shane Douglas match then. I loved it. My favourite match in the world. Because the first half of that match was an asylum brawl. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I barely paid attention to it. My eyes glaze over as soon as people start fighting in the asylum now. I don't care about it. 
It's the same building every time. They do the same spots every time. They go to the same places every time. I, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. So this was a lights out match. They actually they did the lights out stuff properly. They symbolically turned off the lights and they even had an, an outside official. They didn't have a TNA referee do it. So they, they did the lights out stipulation properly, at least anyway. They should have just done the whole thing outside. Yeah, because they had a cool brawl outside. They were like fighting to the backs of trucks, which was cool. Mm. But then they did it for like a minute and a half. And threw each other through fences. But yeah, they brawled out onto the stage. Uh, Lollipop got hurt. I, I, I would have thought he would have been more upset about that. Well, I was curious if this was like real. <laughs> I don't think so. I think they just wanted to clear her out of her cage. I mean, well then fair play to her because it looked real. <laughs> yeah, because Lynn snatched a roll up and then Just Incredible handcuffed Lynn to the cage and beat the shit out of him with a chair. <laughs> yeah, when she, when she dove, I was like, oh, she got, she like, she... <laughs> She got got. I thought for I thought for sure that was a shoot because she tumbled. I did quite like that Jerry Lynn was very courteous and like checked on Lollipop and was concerned, whereas Just Incredible just tried to continue to beat up Jerry Lynn. <laughs> it was part of the reason why I thought it was real. <laughs> I thought Jerry was like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> so these two will have a Russian chain match next week. Yeah, what makes it Russian? The chain. Oh. It's a Russian chain. Are all chains Russian? Yeah. All Russians are chains, but not all chains are Russian. Of course. Cool. Their last man standing match is good. Wait for that one before you write off Just Incredible forever. Alright. I mean, listen, I was enjoying this one until they went into the asylum, so... So, those are all our broad topics for the month. Let's go very quickly show by show as we wrap things up. Yeah, we got... Well, we can't talk too about this, the new red shirt security stuff. They seem extremely targeted towards Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, Kevin Northcutt is one of them. Uh, Ryan Wilson was one of the named ones later in the month as well. Uh, we did. We got a Tanae sit down with Raven, which I thought that one was pretty good because, like, they talked through the WCW history and how, it, like, Eric Bischoff was like, "If anyone here isn't happy, they can leave," and Raven just left, mm. <laughs> which is a very Raven thing to do. It's, honestly, it's a good story, though. Mm. I do like that he didn't want to bury WWF in case he had the chance to come back. Yeah, and he was well. Mike Tanae was like, "Would you describe the what they did with you as misuse you?" It's like you think, Mike. But yeah, he didn't want to like. He was talking shit about all the WCW stuff, but he didn't want to talk shit about. WWF stuff. Understandable. That company's still around. Styles and D-Lo had a little segment before their match where Styles was kind of acting like a dickhead, so, like, you could sort of see that as, like, Styles still being a heel, if the T's there. They finally decided he was winning the belt, probably. Yeah, yeah. We have a Jim Ross thing about D-Lo. Oh, yeah, Jim Ross referred to D-Lo Brown as a classy guy with a good character during the, the whole bar match. This is a note related to the next month, really, it's related to this month. Ross said that Brown didn't burn any bridges in WWE and could return to the company somewhere down the line, which won... He came out as a guy emerging from prison. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he did burn some bridges, but still. Good for good for well, clearly, clearly, it wasn't a time where people were that mad about it. <laughs> mm, and he did return in 2007. Or 8? Whenever that was. We have Conan working with a herniated disc. Poor guy. On the, the first show of the month, there was a thing that they were building toward where Tracy and Desire were fighting over the affection of David Young, but obviously it was dropped once Desire broke her back. Yeah. We have Tracy actually in her own little segment where she's like, yeah, I'm glad that this is this shit's over. <laughs> mm. Actually, uh, a weird one. The theme Chris Harris came out to by himself before the AMW BG James and Conan match. It was a slightly different version of the AMW theme. It was like a rockier version. That, yeah, that was one of the versions I heard while I was um, going through my AMW theme what <laughs> listened to to determine if it was a good theme or not. Mm. Oh, most important thing. AJ and D'Lo match. For the first time, Don West named the Pele. Yes. I was curious if that was like a TNA thing or if it had happened in Ring of Honor recently. I didn't remember. Yeah, the Don West gave the... And it's Pele, of course. We're not filthy Americans, but for the sake of the AJ Styles move, I guess Pele! it's Pele. 
so yeah, Don West gave the Pele its name. That man, we we were touching on it. Like D'Lo just decided to be a wild man this month, where he was like doing step up moon salts. He was doing frog splashes off the top to the floor. He was doing like top rope hurricane ranas. D'Lo was just like, listen, if they're not gonna do anything fun with me, I'm just gonna do wild shit. Well, I get to wrestle AJ too. Probably helps. Yeah, so he's just out there with AJ, out AJ Stylesing AJ Styles. Yeah, they did a bunch of crazy shit. We have the quote from AJ? Oh yeah, when AJ won the belt, uh, there was a quote to TotalNonstopAction.com where he said, If the belt was taken away from me tomorrow, at least I know my name is going to be in there with the rest of the names that made that belt what it is today. Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, and the list goes on and on and on. To me, it is just a huge honor to be on that same list of names. It just keeps getting better. When TNA got started, I became the first X Division champion. Then I became one half of the World Tag Team Champions. And this has all led up to now being the NWA champion. To me, that makes me the first Triple Crown champion. Not even to you. You are the first Triple Crown champion, AJ. Well done. Here in TNA, ever since I won every championship to TNA, it's hot offer. To me, it's just a huge honor and boosts up the name AJ Styles. Who is the first TNA Triple Crown? Ooh. TNA Tag, TNA X Division, TNA World. Okay, so X Division would be AJ it might still be AJ because <laughs> AJ still has the advantage on that because he would have won the X title back in 02 so that still counts Joe is an option he w- would have won the tag titles no d- d- I think it's still AJ because Joe didn't win the tag titles until 2012 Kurt literally did it all in one night <laughs> oh no Joe won the tag titles by himself actually so did Joe win the X title before AJ won the world title is my question I would yes. No, it is. It is Kurt. It's just Kurt. Yeah, that's. I was like, because Kurt did it all in the one night. But was that before either Joe or that? Yeah, because it was before before either of them won the TNA title. And that that was only like two or three months into the 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 TNA title era. So yeah, it's Kurt. Yeah, that's a boring answer. <laughs> but you know, AJ first quad quad <laughs> crown. Grand Slam, I guess, would be the answer. Yeah, the the, the, the TNA Grand Slam with the secondary title. Yeah, the, no, the secondary title, but in the NWA title. Well, no, the, the TNA Grand Slam is like King of the Mountain TV title. I'm talking NWA, TNA, TNA tag. There you go. He's won them all. Uh, there was a segment, the, the backstage segment with Scott Hudson and Tracy, where Tracy was like coming on to him. <laughs> Uh, the, Scott, uh, the, the, the whole thing there was Scott Hudson ended that pre-tape with the line, back to you, Tony and Bobby, because the idea was all discombobulated by his horniness for Tracy. Listen, don't blame him. And it was, I thought it was a good line, but apparently TNA people were mad at him for doing that line. Don't reference things. Only Vince is allowed to reference things. We hate Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan. Also, as a pre-tape, you could have gotten him to do it again. <laughs> well, yes. Like, were they live at that point? No, this was the, the June 11 show. They didn't do the live pre-tapes in the last show. Ah. Uh, we got a Vince backstage drama uh, where his in-ring promo went longer than scheduled. You're shocked to discover, Liam, that his endlessly long in-ring promo was in fact longer than it was meant to be. Yeah, well, I'm shocked here. Yeah, it's NWTNA baby number 50. This was the anniversary show. Jeff Jarrett, in a pre-show press release, did the speech, Liam. The quote from Jeff Jarrett. People doubted that we would last one month, let alone one year. <laughs> Not only have we survived, we have succeeded and we're continuing to go on strong. And they also highlighted how this, the June 18 show, is the first show with Spanish commentary. Uh, uh, it's too long, but I wish we could name this month's podcast. People doubted that we would last one month. <laughs> Jerry Jarrett, we mentioned, made his, his on-screen debut. Maybe his only on-screen appearance. I don't think he makes many more. Well, I promise he'd come back next year. Yeah, but there was a nice little thing where Mike was like, oh, we'll see you again next year. And they do make it the next year. It's just Jerry's not there. Nice little touch that Jerry's like, you're the biggest star here, Mike. 
Which he is. He is the biggest babyface. Because we didn't even mention during that freaking interminably long Vince Russo AJ Styles promo, there was even a segment where Mike Tanay cut a promo on AJ. Everyone got a turn. Everyone just got to talk for five minutes for no reason whatsoever. After that Jerry Jarrett promo, they cut to Eric Watts in the ring. <laughs> of course. And Eric Watts says the line, Well, that boring interview is over. <laughs> I love Eric Watts, man. And it is worth noting, it was only a throwaway line, but Eric Watts is still talking about Eric coming to TNA. Sure. Let's keep let's keep bringing that up, eh? Yeah, it was at the start of that interview segment where it's like, don't you worry, Eric is still coming. I bet he is. Oh, actually, no, I have to do a big rant about this one. So, during Vince Russo's promo, he says something to the extent of, Jeff Jarrett tried to do things the right way, and you people booed him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this drives me absolutely insane because one he started this company as a heel two he turned babyface like 17 times he hit like 800 people with chairs he won the nwa title in the first place via interference from vince russo he retained the belt multiple times via interference or cheating he turned heel and face like seven different times last month he was choking goldilocks like this He hit Dusty Rhodes with a steel chair. This is not a man who is doing things the right way. It's their typical stupid-brained idea that if we just say the story we told is the story we are telling, it's fine. We don't actually have to tell the yeah. story. We can just be like, oh no, we told that story, it's fine. Jeff Jarrett tried to do things the right way and people turned on him. People turned on him because he was a heel every second week. That's why people turned on him. And it's like, it's the same thing I gave out of when Glenn Liberty was like, oh, you had your traditional wrestling. It's like, no, we didn't. All we've ever had is this. This is all this we has ever been. We had it for a month. And it was the month that none of you guys were here. And like over and over again, they do this where it's like they pretend that the story they're telling is the story they told. And it's not. It's usually the very opposite. And it is deeply annoying to me. Honestly, I I respect it. Just pretend that you told wonderful stories. (laughs) They should come out next week and be like, wow, AJ Styles' ascension to the top was perfect. And all you you fucks turned against it. Uh, Yeah, on this anniversary show, they aired a bunch of classic moments from the first year. Many of which are the meme moments as opposed to the actual... Like, Ron Killings winning the NWA title wasn't one of them. Oh, who cares about wrestling, Garrett? But Puppet jerking off in the trash can was one of them. Well, that was a legitimate high note, (laughs) to be fair. They did pick everything we basically did a YouTube video for, so... I did find that really funny. (laughs) Uh, Those are the moments they realized were the big ones. Mm. And they did open the show with a very nice video package, I thought. JB, you nailed that one. Yeah, he's like, it only took me seven hours. (laughs) Then last show of the month, do you have any notes? I mean, I I do have notes, shit! (laughs) Oh, my favorite part, actually. Mike Tanay, on commentary during the cage match, was like, this is a wrestling match. This isn't a climbing contest. We're not going to find out who the best team of climbers are. No escape to cage here. We're going to find out who the best team of wrestlers are. And then uh, it was like fist pumping because, yeah, escape the cage matches are the dumbest shit. Yeah, well, it should always be wars inside the cage. I think um, ROH at the same time was doing the same thing, right? Where they were like, it's just get in the cage, wrestle. Yeah, fight. We want to see people fight. We don't want to see people climb. I'm surprised you didn't love the Siaki and Sandman Hard 10 semi because both of them smoked in the match and you love smoking matches. I didn't even remember them smoking. Shows you how much I didn't care. <laughs> Watts has a pretty cool moveset when he's not in a million rest holds. Yeah, if, if Eric Watts didn't have to actually wrestle matches and can just do run-ins every time, he'd be the best wrestler in the company. 
Uh, ref looks right at Jared as they do the guitar shot, and Disco fucks up. Oh God, yeah. Oh, oh God. So even worse. It's it's so strange. So the referee looks right at him as he does the guitar shot. He smashes him with the guitar. Rudy gets down. Counts one. Counts two. Nobody kicks out, and Rudy just stops counting. <laughs> yeah, and like this is on the show where like the crowd doesn't not like Rudy anymore. <laughs> I don't know, was somebody meant to pull somebody out of the ring? Was somebody meant to break up the pin? I don't know. It obviously wasn't the finish. But Rudy counts one. Rudy counts two. Nobody kicks out. And Rudy is just like, nope, not the finish. <laughs> uh, Disco, come on, man. You gotta you gotta ad-lib here. I do want to also mention that um, the Sting match was our first, I believe, Jeff Jarrett guitar shot. Yeah, and he does another one the next month, or next week, so he's he's really piling I think we're going to start getting it every week. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we tied it together. We did mention that James Mitchell threw the fireball at Raven, but obviously the deal with the devil is the deal with James Mitchell. I just want to, I think it's an interesting idea that if that was the first Jeff Jarrett guitar shot, it was on the first anniversary. Yeah, it waited a whole year to hit somebody with a guitar. That's restraint. And then the next week he's like, yes, the floodgates are open. <laughs> I'm going to hit everybody. I did want to mention that I thought there was a really nice ending to the first year to have Jarrett and Raven being brought together by Sting mm. in the ring. Yeah, because Sting is like, them moulded together. So, <laughs> Oh no, it wasn't the first guitar shot, now that I think of it. The first one was on, was on Eric Watts. Ah, true, 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 true. So it's probably the second. But to be fair, they've, they've still committed fairly well to like not doing it all the time, which is like, they're showing restraint here. Mm-hmm. I think that's June. That is June. As I said, very big month. New world champion, AJ Styles. Sting is here. New stage. New stage. Best match in company history with Triple X against AMW. A lot of fun stuff happening here in June 2003. Big Sting. Big fake Sting. <laughs> he will never be convinced. It's not, uh, Sting doesn't debut until there's like a casket. <laughs> so... We will be back in two weeks with July 2003, the first full month with AJ Styles as world champion. So you have, I think he defends the belt like every week in that month. Well, it's like his X Division run. It's a five pay-per-view month, Liam, too. So you could be excited for that. Oh, Oh, no, I have one more note. Raven's promo where he compared (gasps) Jeff Jarrett to the Hoff. Oh yeah, you 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 hated this or loved this so much you you clipped it. I was so upset. How how dare he besmirch the good name of David Hasselhoff? The Monday Night Wars already kicking off yeah i'm disgusted i am disgusted because he's like oh you were in a bunch of shows that you didn't realize were only hits because of reasons they're unrelated to you people watch night rider because of the car people watched baywatch because of the boobs just like jeff jarrett didn't realize he was on two hit shows that had nothing to do with him wtw and tna it's like you leave the half out of this i also like that he like completely erased wwf jeff jarrett <laughs> yeah it didn't happen <laughs> Again, really wants to keep that door open. Well, no, it's an implied burial because he was like two successful shows. Yeah, but it's also, it's, it's an implied burial instead of an explicit burial. Mm. Burial via omission as opposed to just saying it. And one more time, Russo's haircut. Hideous. I don't think it was that bad. It was the, one of the worst haircuts ever. <laughs> Liam doesn't think it's that bad because he thinks his hair might look like that soon. No, that's not what I said. That's exactly what you said. I said I'll get that haircut despite you. 
Quick, let's, let's talk about our hair for ten minutes. Go, go, go. Yeah, the one guy will be really mad at you. <laughs> so, we will be back in two weeks with July 2003. You can look forward to that. We'll be back next week with the Rinka King episode four we're on. Either way, new episode of Rinka King coming your way next week. And two watch-alongs are waiting for you on Patreon right now. Watch-alongs of NWA pay-per-views number 49 and 50. The June 11th show where AJ won the belt. And the June 18th show, which was with the one-year anniversary show or the two shows we did watch alongs for listen to the go watch the first one just for the aj match and my reaction to the finish and the abyss react the abyss reaction is very good in that show too oh yeah catch the abyss reaction and catch the aj winning reaction but then just what if you're gonna do if you're gonna commit to a full show to do the watch along with gotta watch the anniversary show i think that's the one but they're both there waiting for you on the ten dollar tier on patreon at tnhn.com or patreon.com slash kidding me follow us on twitter at dna history pod follow me on twitter at garrett kidney follow liam on twitter at the gleet muta he is mr explosion on twitter named after eric watts yeah which no i'm the new mr explosion tremendous nickname embracing the b show yeah thanks for listening and bye bye yo isn't it crazy how in spider-man no way home that eric watts is in it <laughs>